You want sushi? That's good, Ramsey. All right, Kiss Army. You wanted the best. You got the best. Now close your eyes. You're about to be podcasting. And with that familiar music, you know you are listening to a very special episode of your podcast. I'm Ken Mills, and joining me from the podcasting universe, three greats. Please welcome to the show, once again, the reluctant host of the Rock and or Roll podcast and Cheap Talk, BJ Cramp. How are you doing, sir? I'm good. How are you, Ken? I'm fantastic. And from the Tricorder Transmission... And Slycast, Jeff Hewlett. Hey, Jeff. How you doing? Great. I'm a huge fan of the Slycast. So oh, very familiar with your uh, dulcet tones. Is that the phrase? <laughs> Is that the? T- uh, where are the templates, Mills? <laughs> <laughs> and returning as well to the podcast, Crazy Crazy Nights, Craig Cohen. Or actually, <laughs> wouldn't it be Craig Crazy Crazy Nights Cohen? Yes, thank you very much for that intro, Cannon. It is always a pleasure, a thrill, and an honor to be here with you on the podcast. So you can consider this whatever you want it to be, but we're looking at it as a kind of a cross between the podcast meets the Slycast. Craig's going to be taking over the master host of this fine episode as we celebrate the masterful works of the master thespian himself, Mr. Gene Simmons. Tonight, we celebrate one of the many masterful works of the mighty Gene Simmons. And Craig, I now give the microphone to you, sir. Wow, this is an incredible responsibility you've dropped in my lap, and I will not take it lightly. (laughs) That's what she said. uh, What we're going to do is we're going to look at what might be... Gene Simmons' most mainstream film appearance, and that is the 1984 Tom Selleck film, Runaway. It is the future, mysteriously spreading across an unsuspecting city. Machines trained to serve humans are turning against them. What do you got, Jerry? Model 912, cut up two people inside the house. Going in. You're going in. We can send a disarm robot in. Hit the floater, it'll hit the disarm, and any minute it's going to decide to hit the kid. An ingenious conspiracy has begun, and someone has to stop the madman who started it all. We've got a non standard chip here. can turn any domestic computer into a killing machine. Working late at night all by yourself. I just had a few things to finish up. No, no I insist. Let me help you. No. your name on it. This isn't a runaway. 
This is murder. We're never going to make it through this one. It's a good flick. Ken, do you have any memories of this film when it came out, as a KISS fan in particular? I saw it at the movie theater in Ashtabula, Ohio, and there were probably about 18 other KISS fans there, and it was a blast. I remember I was really excited for this, because this was coming off the Lick It Up era, if you will, and you were seeing Gene doing this you know, movie thing, and a lot of rock stars have done the movie thing. As a matter of fact, I think BJ is probably going to mention Paul's reaction to this movie, if I know BJ. And uh, one thing you can say is that Gene actually did do this. Gene did get this done. And it was great seeing him on the big screen. It was amazing. And, you know, along with the Tom Snyder interviews and Kiss Meets the Fam of the Park, it's given us such wonderful lines to recite. <laughs> That's good, Ramsey. Yes, yes. So, BJ, while Ken set you up, why don't you give us your sort of perspective on where you were and and what you were doing as a KISS fan and as a movie fan when this came out, and then also, if you can, give us Paul's response. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to remember Paul's response. Was that in Paul's book? Where, uh, did you see well, it? I remember he ran up to somebody at their car going, Did you see it? Did you see it? And he was laughing hysterically <laughs> because he thought it was so terrible yeah but keep in mind at least gene got the movie made paul's bit for young doctors in love wound up on the cutting room floor which if i remember correctly was something to do with uh, some sort of heavy metal lead singer with a microphone stuck in his uh, throat so there you go what do you think i'm stupid ramsey so yeah, but as for as for where i was when it came out yeah i was only 10 years old i very very much remember watching this movie on cable way too many times you know Back in the mid-80s, Cinemax, the movie channel, we had all those. You, I watched way too many movies when you're sitting there watching. What's that movie with uh, Clancy Brown where he pushes all the people off the cliff with Tom Berenger? <laughs> Do you guys remember what I'm talking about? <laughs> it's a movie that? I definitely want to see if I haven't seen it. Yeah. Wait, uh, Sidney Poitier is in it as well. Oh, wow. You guys don't remember this? <laughs> Damn, what was it called? BJ, I believe the name of that film was called Shoot to Kill from 1988. Yes, Shoot to Kill. Sidney Poitier, Tom Berenger, Clancy yeah. Brown, one of my favorites, of pushing course, from Highlander. Off. Yeah, pushing people off cliffs. <laughs> we used to just sit there and watch all those kind of movies, any kind of action movie or whatever, which is probably part of the reason I love the slidecast so much because I watched, you know, I was very into Sylvester Stallone back then as well. I remember for like my... 12th birthday or something my best friend bought me a Sylvester Stallone biography you know yeah. and I read the whole thing you know I just I always remember that when he was born they used the forceps and that's why the part of the side of his face is kind of paralyzed or whatever yeah yeah he has because a doctor they messed up he, with the forceps yeah. yeah he has a doctor that he probably should thank for his career uh -huh. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it sounds like we have a whole other podcast we could do uh, about that movie. Yeah, unfortunately, Gene is not in that movie. But, you know, I probably watched the double feature of that and Wanted Dead or Alive. So. Uh, another movie that we <laughs> will be getting to. But but anyways, I digress. But, yeah, I, 
I watched Runaway multiple times on cable, you know, when I was 11, 12, whatever. I seem to remember it might have been the first time I really realized that that was what Gene Simmons looked like without the makeup. Uh-huh. Like, I don't think I was really tuned in when Lick It Up came out and everything, so... It might have been my first revelation of... I was a KISS fan when I was little, but there was this period, that period there where I wasn't really into music until around this, this age when I probably saw this movie. So I think that it was a revelation for me watching Gene Simmons, knowing that was Gene Simmons, you know, the guy, you know, the demon guy. So going back and watching the movie now, <laughs> I'm sure I have an, uh, kind of the opposite opinion of what I had of it back then but I definitely liked it back then. In terms of Runaway, uh, BJ, I think our experience is very much the same because we're around the same age. And I remember thinking it was really, really cool and unique that here was this guy that I loved in a rock band that I was able to see on the movie screens. And for me, it seemed completely, you know, a natural progression for Gene to go from being a rock star to a movie star. Now, Ken, from your perspective, do you think that there were fans at the time that, you know, were sort of angry at Gene for, for going Hollywood? I don't know. At the time, we were just glad to know that there was Kiss still out there. You know what I mean? Running into the Kiss fans at the movie theater was kind of cool. You know, it was kind of neat. It, it seemed like things were still bubbling up in the world of Kiss. I mean, we just had creatures and uh, lick it up, and, and things were on a, a more upward trajectory than they had been. You know, I mean, you can only go so low after The Elder, which I love The Elder, but you guys know what I'm talking about as far as cultural impact. Yeah, yeah. Now, Jeff Hewlett, you were not a Kiss fan when this movie came out, so what did Runaway, how did it impact you when it came out, and what did Gene Simmons mean to you at the time? Funny question. Yeah, I, I saw this movie when I was about 10 years old at the Community Theater in Eatontown, New Jersey. Uh, it was a double screen across from a Pathmark shopping center where I would push carts in the parking lot a couple of years later. But, uh, yeah, I don't really think I made the connection between uh, Gene and Kiss because I wasn't really as familiar with Kiss back then. So I think I only found out after the fact. But for me, this was kind of in my childhood wheelhouse. Uh, you know, this was once in the theater and many times on cable. Uh, afterwards, BJ was saying the HBO era mm-hmm. and all the great movies that you would sit around and watch and I always had a really soft spot for this movie, and still to this day, and I, I really enjoyed Gene's performance. I know people have bad things to say about it, but I st- I just watched this earlier today, actually, just to refresh my memory on everything, and you know, I, I didn't come out of it thinking it was that bad. I mean, I still enjoy Gene on the screen. Yeah, you know what, Jeff? While we're talking about Gene in general, I gotta say that his performance, I don't know whose decision this was. It might have been Gene's, or it might have been director and writer Michael Crichton's, but Gene does not link in this film. Did you pick up on that? Only digital Gene blinks. (laughs) Digital Gene on the screen blinks, but real real Gene is Luther. uh, doesn't blink. Yes. No, the eyes are squintier. (laughs) Very strange. Well, I guess since we're talking about it, BJ, what are your overall feelings on Gene's performance? Uh, terrible. Come on, Ramsey! But (laughs) I don't know how much to blame Gene and how much to blame Michael Crichton, but the the choices made by Gene, well, for one thing, it's a very one-dimensional performance, and uh, you know, pretty much all Gene does is tries to look menacing and insane. Uh-huh. And you know, I mean, if that's acting, then fine. But you know, there's a lot, not much more going on there besides crazy eyes. Yeah, you know? 
But you know what? You can at least say for Gene that a lot of musicians have a tr- uh, have problems with when they make the transition is there's nothing about Gene's performance that looks stiff. And you almost think that if Gene had been given a, a little more time to develop this character like he did, you know, the demon persona in Kiss, he might have turned in something more remarkable. Ken, what are your feelings on the Gene's performance in this movie? Well, I'm going to agree to disagree with uh, the ever-charming BJ. Uh, I think that Gene just eats up the screen on this. I think that uh, he has a lot of fun with the role. And you also have to realize that what he's been given, you know, to work with, I think he does great. I mean, had Michael Crichton ever directed before? Was this his first film? It, it was, wasn't it? And I th- Is that true? I think Michael Crichton had directed before this. Really? He had done Westworld and Coma and... Well, um, let me let me change that then. Yeah. Uh, gee, well, then that, then there's no excuse then, I guess. That's <laughs> the sons of bitches. Well, oh, no, no, I, oh. would, I would lay the blame more at Michael Crichton's feet, I think, than anything. And, of course, like you were saying, what he had to work with as far as the script overall i mean what is his character uh you know there's no explanation for his character besides that he's just a lunatic and we're never really sure as to what gene's big play is other than trying to have a meeting and get revenge on ramsey at some point but you know as you said we will get to it but he doesn't seem to have any big end game you know what I'm saying? His character arc is crazy eyes to crazier eyes. I think. <laughs> yeah, and then this really, this movie's really just built on the MacGuffin, if you will, of the templates. Don't so, you mean templates, Ramsey? <laughs> so, so let's jump. Where are into the, the templates, movie, Ramsey? The templates, Ramsey. <laughs> and as mentioned, it was written and directed by Michael Crichton, who a lot of people probably know from Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he wrote the novel that turned, you know, was turned into Jurassic Park. And as mentioned, he also wrote and directed uh, the movie Westworld and Coma in the seventies. And um, he also co-wrote Rising Sun in '93, uh, which is what the Sean Connery Wesley Snipes um, buddy movie, right? Wow! <laughs> Yikes! I still Just, can't believe you guys didn't know Shoot to Kill. but it's really interesting to see that such an accomplished writer and you know you can say that he might have you know his novels might have been a little a little pulpy but he always approached them from a very scientific point of view Uh Um, that's what makes runaway for me probably the most disappointing is you think that with a guy like michael crichton writing it that you'd have a script that was a little tighter and maybe, dare I say, a little bit more coherent. Now, as we get into the film, Jeff, is it ever established where in the the future we are, or is it just assumed we're supposed to know that this is a distant future? No, I don't think there are any dates yes, that, are, um, that are thrown out. There, are there dates? There are. Oh, wow. You okay. Can, you can where? see two. You can, there are two numbers for one, we know that Tom Selleck is 35, uh, Ramsey is 35, and you can see his birth date on the computer at one point, oh, and, it's, and it's 1950. So the film is in 1985. <laughs> Alright, so it's, it's a, it's, it's a, it jumps a year into the future. <laughs> so Marty McFly's around somewhere. 
Yes. No, and, and actually, <laughs> I'm this is the alternate at, 1985, maybe? Well, wow. actually, I'm looking at a release date of December 14th, 1984. So a lot of people it's probably. It's a couple s- months in the future. <laughs> so, yeah, some people probably saw this in 1985. Holy yeah, you know, I, I was actually talking to my brother about this, and he was saying he thinks it's a. It's an alternate universe as opposed to a futuristic film, but I think almost anyone watching it assumes it's supposed to be taking place in the future. Yeah, but the, the interesting thing about it is, aside from the, the concept of robots being integrated into our day-to-day life, there's really no attempt to make it look or feel like the future. BJ, do you have any further thoughts on that right that's true i mean they do little things like that eyeball <laughs> gene has somehow gene has uh i guess he 3d printed jack ramsey's eyeball or something <laughs> at one point so he could break into the computer system but yeah i mean as far as like there aren't any futuristic vehicles or anything like that you know wait 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 wait, wait. we're overlooking the fact that ramsey has a laser pistol right <laughs> and and they're and mounted on top the of robots, the cop cars even and they're the robot drivers. Look, even the robots don't look remotely futuristic. No. Like they said in How Did This Get Made, it looks like the overhead projector from middle school <laughs> turned into a robot. It almost bots. Yeah. <laughs> it almost looks like a, a really large pizza oven. You know, like those those little things that you <laughs> or get a microwave. Where you can eat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we get uh, really the, the setup of this film, for me, it really works. We basically get really dropped into it where we're introduced to Tom Selleck's uh, Jack Ramsey character mm-hmm. who is is really just doing some kind of lab work in, in a police precinct. You see he's in a uniform and he's doing some kind of work and this is over the, I guess, the the opening titles crawl, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah it looks like a robot autopsy or something. <laughs> yeah, and I guess uh, we, we can talk about the music here, which we have a, a little bit of a slide cast connection here two times. We have the music by Jerry Goldsmith, who did that great, great score for First Blood. Mm-hmm. And here was his first attempt at electronic music. And for me, it seems like... I love Jerry uh, Jerry Goldsmith. I think he's a tremendous composer. I, I think his body of work uh, cannot be disputed. But for me, it just seemed like they, they told him, they were like, hey, why don't you do something like Blade Runner? <laughs> yeah. Anybody have any um, other feelings on the the music, uh, Jeff? Yeah, interestingly enough, in the in the credits near the near the end, it says it was performed on Yamaha digital instruments. So um, remember, we have all everybody had those little Yamaha and Casio yeah. keyboards back in the eighties. But you know, this the score of this film reminds me an awful lot of the uh, the Wendy Carlos score for Tron. Mm. Right, it has a it has a very similar feel. And of course, you mentioned Blade Runner, but I kind of like it. It fits the mood of the movie. It kind of gives it a little sort of quasi-futuristic feel. I mean, not now it doesn't, but back in the 80s it did. Uh, it it kind of feels like 80s futuristic uh, yeah. type of film. And uh-huh. you know what else is really I find interesting about this? For an 80s movie, there's not one song in the entire thing. Good call. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I hadn't, yeah, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, yeah, not a single song. Too bad Gene didn't record a solo song for the soundtrack. I would, would yeah, awesome. what, what an opportunity. We can yeah. only imagine what that would have been. Ken, any feelings on the, the Jerry Goldsmith score? Not really. I think it's adequate. And there's times that this movie seems like it was rushed in production or not everything was thought out. So I there take are the times, music. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Shut up, BJ. Um, I, <laughs> but I, I just kind of take it 
for what it is. I, I again, I think he was trying to be futuristic by using that new technology that uh, Mr. Hewlett pointed out. It, it doesn't really move me one way or the other. I don't think I'll ever buy the Runaway soundtrack when it comes out. Oh, wow, okay. Uh, BJ? I wrote down about the score, truly awful. <laughs> but I was, you know, I was thinking about, um, have you guys seen Gone Girl? Yes. Yes, so uh, Trent Reznor did the score for that, and in all the scenes that are sort of like flashbacks, mm-hmm. uh, there's this horrendous music. Me and my wife were watching that movie, and I was just commenting a lot on how horrible I thought the music was that Trent Reznor did. I, I don't know, this sort of reminded me of that, my reaction to that. So we get, I guess, at this point, we get the the introduction of Ramsey's new partner, Karen Thompson, played by Cynthia Rhodes, mm-hmm. who we also know from Slycast. She mm-hmm. was John Travolta's co-star in the Sylvester Stallone-directed 1983 film, Staying Alive. Aha! So uh, very exciting to see her uh, come up on screen. And at this point, we really get the, I I don't want to say generic, but it's really just the generic, you know, typical setup here where it's new partners that have to get to know each other. And I think before they even go out on this first assignment, we pretty much get uh, the setup of what the the runaway squad is. Is that correct, BJ? Yeah. It's a whole bunch of exposition. Yeah, I, and you're right. It's a it's a really stale cliche, you know, the new partner concept. Uh, one interesting thing I found, I think, on IMDb is Karen Thompson was also the name of Kim Cattrall's character in Police Academy, <laughs> which oh, wow. came out the same year. And also, this G.W. Bailey was the you know played the, basically the same role yeah. <laughs> in both movies. <laughs> the Police Academy connection, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. But yeah, you know, when when Tom Selleck explains his job, it's it's really hilarious. <laughs> and the way and the way she came from traffic and they're on this robot squad which you know, he says, "Do you know anything about robotics?" and she's like, "A little." <laughs> yeah. And well, he took a couple of night classes and now he's he he basically says he knows more than everyone else now about yeah. all of a sudden I was the expert. <laughs> yeah. Well, well wasn't she point? also a dance instructor in in her resume? I think she says something about Yeah, but she got injured. Oh, she has a long resume, yeah. Yeah, you can almost tie it into maybe you know, uh, staying alive and say she got hurt while performing in that show. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it, it, the, it, this is the same character from Staying Alive and then Police Academy, and <laughs> and they're all you know whatever. Maybe she's just like jumping through different portals. Since this movie's in 1985, it's some kind of alternate reality. So yeah, wow. <laughs> so they get called away to their first assignment, and it's at I guess a farm of some kind where a robot that is programmed to remove like larvae from leaves has gone rogue and it's cutting a path through uh, whatever field is growing. And at this point, and Ken, you alluded to this, the police are tasked with, you know, handling these quote-unquote runaway robots. But don't you really think that that wouldn't be something the taxpayers would be uh, tasked with? Well, let me put it this way. My family loves Family Feud, the Steve Harvey-hosted version. So we keep the game show network hot. Here, you know what I mean. We keep it active all the time. Well, all the channels 
on our cable are working fine except for, as of last night, the Game Show Network, the HD version. So, in this movie, using this kind of logic, I would call up the cable company and Tom Selleck would show up and say, has your cable box gone rogue? You know, it just seems kind of weird that the police are out there stopping farm bots from ruining the crops. It just seems kind of bizarre. Yeah, well, especially considering uh, that they were purchased probably by a private company that manufactures and sells these robots for a profit. Right. Wait, 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 wait. I think we're glossing over the fact that the police department, there must be enough runaway rogue robots that the police department had to cr- form a special squad just to deal with them, right? Well, like, just also, like in, uh, in Blade Runner, they had to form special squads to deal with the uh, the replicants, right? I mean, eventually, <laughs> if something becomes enough of a problem, you got to get specialists to deal with it. Yeah, so, but when, this Ramsey is ex- when Ramsey's explaining the job, he basically tells her it's really boring, and most of the time you're just flipping a switch. So yeah, you have to wonder can't. why they need a police division for True, this. True, but you know what? Every time they set foot back in that police station, they're getting called somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Every time. It seems like the grittiest department in the thing, and it seems like the film wants to make it at one point that the rest of the squad room is like laughing at Ramsey. But then at the other side of it, it's like it's the most important job in the world, and even the uh, the news is following him around, like he's a superstar yes, they're, they're, cop. They're broadcasting all of his antics live on television in real time, apparently. Yeah, it's but it's almost like he has it, a reality yeah. show. Yeah, yeah. If you think about it, there's no dissenting voice in this movie that says, you know, hey, maybe we shouldn't be using robots in this way. You think that that would at least be. The, the angle that the news reporters would be taking. Yeah. Well, it, it's almost like maximum overdrive must have, must have been happening. I mean, I just imagine <laughs> people sitting there playing the PlayStation 3 and a Blu-ray comes spinning out and goes through someone's head, so they have to call Ramsey out. You know what I mean? It's, <laughs> it's kind of bizarre. I can't understand. It's almost like they're dog catchers for robots. Yeah, yeah. So we have this... And, uh, and wait a second. If there are that many problems, like you mentioned, don't you think that we as a society would go like, wait a second, maybe it's time to disconnect some of these things. <laughs> yeah, you know. and I mean, it seems like it could have been a simple fix where you don't make them the police and you just make them some kind of private company, you know, like the Ghostbusters, but they're the, the runaway squad. Well, I came up with a simple fix. Every robot has a remote switch... And everyone just has a remote in their pocket that they can push the button and turn off every robot, you know? Yeah. I mean, why are they running into the field and tackling the robot? <laughs> and anytime I mean, he, he goes to deactivate uh, a robot, he makes sure that that damn thing is dead. Like, he smashes and totally destroys everything. He beats the hell out of everything. Like, uh, Pete Townsend does a guitar, you know? Before we move on from this scene, I have to mention the the farmers that are there and their little comments that they make. I love those guys. Yeah. (laughs) yeah, They all have, like, southern accents, which no one else in the movie does. Yeah, and the the funny thing about that, BJ, is those guys, to me, seemed like they came with the land. So it was like, you want to use these acres and acres and acres of our farmland? These six guys have to be in the movie. Yeah, right. They're just yeah, a you're bunch probably of right. Well, yeah, I I looked up their names in the credits, and uh, 
I, there are three guys listed as farm voice. Terrence Beezer, James Carter, and Hank Hooker. Oh, wow. So <laughs> I love that name, been, Hank Hooker. That's this crazy. might have even been voice replacement that they did after they filmed, where they, they got professional voice actors to uh, Hank Hooker. You know, you, you know his agent was yeah. like, Hank, I got a gig for you. <laughs> but we also get some very, very, uh, again, we get some important character development here in the scene leading up to the, right. the whole robot chase in the field. And that's where we learn that Tom Selleck had to join the Runaway Squad because he's afraid of heights. And it'll be in a later scene where we get more exposition. This is a movie that's all about telling as opposed to showing. Where we learn that Ramsey's fear of heights allowed a perp to get away who went on to uh, that same night kill, what, six people? Yeah, yep. right. And so, but luckily, every runaway robot happens at ground level. So that's why he transferred to this squad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it makes no sense because <laughs> later on we'll we'll have them at a construction site. But we're getting right, and, you know, there's there's no foreshadowing at all. You never could have predicted <laughs> that Ramsey was going to end up in a situation where he'd have to go, you know, in a tall building. Yeah, right. Jeff Hewlett. Any feelings on this introductory scene to what the runaway squad does? Well, I don't think there's any questions to what they what they do. I'm just surprised at how they get where they're going. I mean, uh, taking a chopper all the way out there instead of driving. It must have been pretty far. That's Ramsey, your partner. Ramsey. Hi, Jack Ramsey. Well, that's Ramsey. I need a chopper for Ramsey. Uh, from, from where the police station was if they had to use the, the helicopter. But a couple of other things worth pointing out, though, during the um, this opening sequence here where they're flying out to the farm. Uh, since we're talking about alternate universe versus the future, uh -huh. there's a, a moment where they're uh, looking at a, a wireframe model of the, the robot that they're going to take out. Selleck mentions, or Ramsey mentions, that it runs in an old 8088 CPU. Now, that's a real thing in our, in our world, in our yeah. universe, in the yeah. early 80s. That was a real CPU, and it still is. So that kind of anchors it at least somewhat in our own reality. Right. Uh, Intel exists there as it, as it does here, so... That's interesting food for thought. And uh, you also get the uh, the classic um, uh, hero in a relationship roadblock or a quasi-romance roadblock as they're flying back out, right, when, when he's on the phone with Lois. And uh, Thompson assumes that's his wife, but it's really not his wife, as you'll find out later. So that, that little spark of love interest is, is thwarted there at the beginning because uh, there's the false assumption by Thompson. Yeah. Well, and, and did you guys notice that a, a couple of times in this scene, like in the helicopter, and then I think when they're walking in the field, Tom Selleck is a complete asshole <laughs> to to Karen, to his partner, like just a real jerk. Yeah. Just, just very snarky. And um, I don't understand why she's interested in this guy at all. <laughs> at because he's point. got the mustache. He is Magnum. <laughs> Man. And also, I was going to say, we learned here where crop circles come from as well with this <laughs> runaway robot. <A> rogue robot. <laughs> well, the, the, which city is this supposed to be? We have no... It's just, you know... Because they're, they're able to get to... Because they're able to get to farmland really quick. I, I don't have a Blu-ray. I only have the DVD of this. Uh -huh. so I, I don't know if this has been released on Blu-ray, and I would love to see if it was, because there's a scene sort of in the middle of the movie where you see the back of a police car and you can see the license plate, but the detail is not clear enough on the DVD to mm. see what state the cop car is from. So if anybody has a Blu-ray of this or a high-definition cop, you may be able to see it if you freeze-frame that license plate. Well, they yeah. do go to, what, the Ritz-Carlton at one point, I guess if you figure it's just, out. No, it's just the Ritz Hotel, not the Ritz-Carlton. Oh, oh, oh really? Hotel, yeah. Okay. Can't even deduce it from that. So, uh, right. 
we get back to the police station, and I think this is where we have more exposition about, you know, Ramsey's past and letting that perp go. And then we basically get called right back out to another assignment. And this one is a lot more critical in the sense that we have a, a robot that has gone rogue and it killed a, a woman and her friend and the uh, her 10-month-old baby is trapped inside with this robot who also has a gun and now we really get an idea of what Ramsey and his his task force or his unit do to deal with these robots there's a suiting up procedure this is also the first sequence in the film where we see Gene Simmons and he's not identified yet but his presence is there. And one thing I got to say about this sequence is it eats up a huge chunk of time. It, uh -huh. it almost seems like they were like, you know what? We don't got enough story here <laughs> to, uh, to, to get to 90 minutes. So let's make this scene as long and suspenseful as we can. BJ, what was your takeaway on this almost film within a film sequence? Well, I don't want to take all of the, I don't want to, you know, hog all of the good parts. No, do it, <laughs> But, man, you know, the, the cameraman following him in <laughs> Yeah, so who you ridiculous. don't feel sorry for when he gets shot. No, the uh, the robot cocking a three fifty seven Magnum like a shotgun <laughs> is hilarious. Also, you know, the robot making sure to warn Ramsey that it's about to fire uh, by, ma I think the robot was making the cocking noise itself, you know? <laughs> like the robot just was making, you, know, you could hear it you could envision a robot being able to replicate the sound of cocking the shotgun so for some reason the robot warned ramsey that it was about to fire the 357 magnum by making the, <laughs> the cocking sound but i love there's one thing i wrote down that that i thought was really funny where um the one cop says to ramsey father's over there electronic engineer name of johnson and i wrote down this is suddenly an episode of dragnet because that sounded exactly like like, like. dragnet <laughs> <laughs> and i love when they said the robot was the size of a hat box because if this is a futuristic film if that's their point of reference then that's pretty strange yeah. um, <laughs> i mean seriously how many people listening right now even know what a hat box is yeah, and, and also you could hear the gunshots inside the house, and then when Ramsey's talking to the father, he's like, "It's got a gun." <laughs> and you already heard multiple gunshots. There's just—I mean, you could—you know—you could really. It's pretty easy to pick uh, most of this movie apart, but those are some of my favorite parts. All right, uh, Jeff Hewlett. Wow, I—I I don't know how to follow that up, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I—I I actually had a, a similar question in my head is as to how the robot actually cocked the gun because it only has one arm yeah <laughs> so and it doesn't have an opposable thumb either no. isn't there also a, a part where the robot comes out of, it's as if the bathroom door was closed yeah it the opens, the door. opens the door <laughs> comes out. Yeah, the robot opens the door when 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 uh, ramsey dives into the bedroom and he's he's hiding behind the nightstand the robot clearly opens the door he must have been taking a dump or something in there <laughs> But well, one thing, one one really interesting thing though was that when um, when Ramsey's getting ready to go into the house and he's being kind of hounded by that female reporter, uh, she introduces him as Ramsey of the Runaway Squad. This is Sergeant Ramsey of the Runaway Squad. Yeah. So I guess that's what the the that's officially called the Runaway Squad. Sergeant Ramsey, we'd like a direct feed off your floater. And from Sergeant Ramsey, Sergeant Ramsey is wearing his electromagnetic scatter suit. 
Sergeant Ramsey. Sergeant Ramsey. One thing that I, I liked about this is that, you know, looking into the future, I mean, this was, was you know, the, the mid-80s, and the media in this movie is, pre- is behaving like the media does today. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily like the media did back then, but definitely what it's like today. So what kind of a little bit of future prediction uh, is that, where... You've got you've got 80 reporters following you out of your car into your house. But I thought the performance by by, uh, by the Johnson was really awful. Probably one of the worst acting bits of the movie. I, I don't see how anybody could say Gene's performance is bad after watching that scene. Yeah, and that dude <laughs> yeah. is, was a was a, a working actor who might yeah. even still be working today. Yeah. Oh yeah, I've seen that guy in a lot of stuff. Yeah. Chris yeah. Mulkey, and I think I, I think later in the movie his his performance gets a little better, but. Yeah, um, outside of the uh, the house, there it is one of the worst performances probably of 1984, and <laughs> he was also uh, we have a sly cast connection there. He was the uh, the cop that didn't want to cut Rambo when they shave him in the police station. Yeah. Yep. Oh right, right. You're right. Yeah, I knew I recognized that guy. <laughs> yeah. Well, and there's also it's really hilarious when he storms away, and then there's a cameraman who's like, "What was his problem?" And this is the guy whose wife is dead and baby is in the house. Yeah. And then yeah. the guy's like, "Yeah, he was really upset. That was hot stuff." <laughs> another another question though, I wanted to put out to you guys, and b- before they arrived at the house, the robot had actually killed people with a knife. Yeah. I want to understand how that robot was able to chase down and kill two people with a knife. Well, I mean, come on. Just jump up on the couch. Well, you know what? The first one, it was probably the element of surprise because you don't know the robot's going to go batty on you. Um, so at least you can you can give the robot credit for, for sneaking up on one person. The other one, I, 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 I don't think I can forgive. And they say it was an ordinary kitchen knife. That's what the hell they describe it. And they say they, you know, they managed to run outside before they died. And then the cop says to Ramsey, I kept them here so you could see them. <laughs> Which nice. I didn't really understand why the guy from the runaway squad had to see the dead bodies. But <laughs> If this movie was made today, they would have shown us the bodies, too. Yeah. We really get to see them Absolutely. looking down at the bodies. But uh, yeah, this we- is also the debut of Ramsey's laser pistol, by the way. I don't want to make sure that doesn't get overlooked. Yeah and, yeah, and and Jeff, you bring up a good point because they do do the uh, the reveal where we we just see them lift up the 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 blanket or the the cover on the dead bodies. But by no means was this movie neutered in any sense. Where later on we're going to get some uh, some nudity and we get uh, an f bomb. So it doesn't seem like they were trying to avoid a rating here. Right. Mm-mm. As far as how the robot. Uh got a hold of this knife and killed the people. I can understand one or two people, but it just seems like, you know, Jeff, if you're having a hard time understanding how this robot is causing such calamity later on in the movie when we get to those tiny little spiders that you could just probably ping out of your way, especially <laughs> off that side of that building, you know, this is this is not a good setup for that later, as far as they've you know. got acid, Ramsey. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they'll let you in, but they won't let you out. You know, I can understand if, like, the first person, like, like, let's say that I'm I'm here in the kitchen and and a robot comes up and just cuts me in the arm. You'd think the other people in the house would be like, "Holy crap, get out!" You know, because it's not <laughs> moving very fast. But yeah, the, the uh, gun cocking sound was very bizarre. It sounded like a shotgun. Yeah. Yeah, I think BJ's right. I think that that robot probably had, like, its little, it had, like, you know, the equivalent of, like, an internet soundboard opened. <laughs> and it was just hitting the button every time that it uh, it pulled the trigger. 
So are you saying this is the equivalent to the predator learning how to laugh? <laughs> yes. <laughs> the ultimate troll. So then we get back to the police station and we have, um, I guess, our robot autopsy here. And we learn that the robot has been modified. Its safety features have been overrided. Um, and it's been uh, programmed or, or re reprogrammed to hurt human beings. And we also learned that these are chips that were created um, from the, the MacGuffin that is the, the, the templates that the rest of the movie will sort of spend its time chasing. Jeff, is there anything in particular about the, the robot autopsy you want to talk about? One important uh, thing about the chip is it had a red stripe on one side. Yes. So just remember that there's a red stripe on the chip because that'll come back uh, a little bit later on uh, in, in the in the movie. So, also that the, the chip is capable of causing some sort of a self destruction of the robot, which we actually saw earlier, but it wasn't made reference to when Thompson picks up the rolling robot. It it sparks and arcs and she drops it. So yeah. it's kind of the same uh, thing. So I mean, are we supposed to think that the the rogue farm equipment was also the work of Dr. Luther. Hmm. And if so, to what end? Maybe they're experimental. Maybe he's just testing the chips out on random farm equipment. That actually seemed like that might have been programming built into the the robot, though, to prevent theft. Because you'd think that if you have these robots randomly doing work in a field, what would stop, uh, much like Tom Selleck recently was stealing water in California, hmm. what would stop a rogue farmer from stealing another farmer's robot. Good question. A rain of sparks. <laughs> exactly. Assholes. It, it's just it's just bizarre how this this whole department is run. Uh, but it's it's weird how Selick dispatches everything. You know, everything's destroyed, <laughs> and he seems to be really pissed at every robot. But again, this is what he has to do for eight hours a day, so I can kind of understand it. You know, just imagine that, uh, you know, office space scene where the print load error thing or whatever. You PC know. load yeah, letter. Yeah, the PC load letter. <laughs> what does they, that even mean? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, Tom Selleck could have easily fit into that scene right there. Because he really dispatches these things. So uh. Yeah, but you know what's interesting about this? We're going to get introduced to, as, as I think Jeff alluded to, the, the robot that Tom Selleck has, Lois. And you'd think that if they really wanted to show a, a disdain of some kind, you would have Tom Selleck's character um, completely hating maybe technology. And you go with that cliche. Um, but the fact that he owns one of these robots and trusts it enough to care for his child really doesn't, you know, do any justice to the the malice he shows towards these machines when he destroys them. Right. It's Thank absolutely ludicrous. You know, his son actually asks him at one point, "Would Lois ever go crazy like that other robot?" And he says, "No, never." Yeah. How does he know yeah. that? But then he gives Lois a dirty look on the way out. Yeah. You notice yeah, that he's right, watching her. Right. He's watching her go back to the charging station. He's looking a little bit like, hmm. Yeah. And then really he leaves his son Lois. alone with it. Well, yeah, yeah, well, you know, you got to take some chances in life. Yeah, but well, how... and then you, you also have to wonder that there's probably a lot of households in this universe where kids are, are uh, you know, single. They're they're being raised in single family uh, environments and their their other uh, or their caretaker instead of a nanny is a robot. 
And then what kind of people do these do these kids grow up to be? Um, <laughs> Raised by a robot. Right? Exactly. I mean, there were so many questions that this movie raises that you think that if they had gone with maybe like a, a different twist on this movie, there could have been characters in this movie that were really questioning this whole future they were creating for themselves. Like, would it have been so hard to have, like, on one of the many TV channels that we see, two guys arguing on, like, a meet-the-press kind of a thing, saying... Exactly. It's time for us to rethink our, you know, the robots are in our house, they're in they're in our schools. What if they start going berserk, and then someone, like, turns it off? Mm-hmm. They're all going mad, Ramsey, you know. Like, even I mean, the police... Bobby, Bobby learns them... Bobby learns a moral lesson from Lois saying, "There's a power surge from Bobby's room." Yeah, yeah <laughs> and that's a, that's all he that's all he knows. Yeah. Power surge. <laughs> but also, where was that power being drawn from? Because it looked like Bobby was using a, a like a battery operated um, TV there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, again, if this movie was made today, the the twist would have been Ramsey's new partner was a robot. Oh, I like Ooh. that. I yeah. really right like on it. it. And then there'll be that moral dilemma about having just... a robot having to stop robots. And then he just crushes her skull <laughs> repeatedly in the movie with a chair. After making sweet love to her and kissing for her in an inordinate That's how he finds out she's a robot. Oh. Ouch. Chafing. So, BJ, we didn't talk about the, the autopsy scene with you yet, did we? No. Well, this is another Stallone connection because Stan Shaw, who seems to be like the robot coroner... <laughs> He was in Rocky, right? Or Rocky Two? Oh, that... I, I think you might be right. I think he was just, I think Rocky, he was one of the guys at Rocky Box or something. I just saw that on IMDb. But Stan Shaw is meaningful for me because of a movie called The Great Santini. Okay, with uh -huh. Robert Duvall. Yeah, he played a character in that movie named Toomer. Yeah. Uh, he, he had a stutter, and there are these horrible racist guys in that movie. They end up murdering him, and I used to, when I was a little kid, <laughs> I probably saw that movie too young, and I used to lay awake at night. I couldn't go to sleep because I felt so bad about what happened to Toomer <laughs> in The Great Santini. <laughs> and so seeing Stan Shaw always makes me think of, of Toomer. And <laughs> well, only but, if you your know, servo robot were there to comfort you. <laughs> yes, and in Rocky, he played the character of Dipper, and he also popped up, or will pop up in another Stallone movie we haven't covered yet on the Slycast, which is Daylight. Oh, okay. And he also played a boxer. He played Lincoln Tyler, the boxer, in the Nicolas Cage movie Snake Eyes, which is kind of, I guess, remembered for the like that opening 15-minute sequence that is all one single camera shot. Oh. I should have said spoiler alert before I said that Toomer got murdered. Right? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> for anyone who's going to go see The Great Santini. Oops. Yes, spoiler alert for a 35-year-old movie. <laughs> so I guess at this point, after the autopsy, we get a little uh, look into Ramsey's personal life. And this is where we learn that what um, he brings Thompson home with him. And we, we see that Lois is, is a robot. And Thompson says, oh, I thought that was your wife. We learn that, we learn that Ramsey's wife is dead much like most cops in movies they're they're yes. widows we meet bobby and bobby seems really really keen on hooking his dad up with thompson um ken any thoughts on the sort of shoehorned in personal life of tom Selleck that's really there just to create a hostage for the end of the movie yeah it's kind of sad because there's so much that could have been done doesn't lois remind you of rosie from the jetsons Oh, totally. <laughs> I swear it's almost the same voice, you know what I mean? But uh, 
it's there's so much they could have done with Tom Selleck's character that they didn't do like there's no real arc the only thing that it seems like he that happens in the movie is that a he loves his kid he's got a fear of heights and overcomes that and finds a girlfriend that that's like his whole character there should be so much more to it yeah Jeff Hewlett I don't I don't know if I was really looking for more honestly yeah in in Ramsey's character I I really wanted more robots yeah (laughs) and more stuff blowing up I mean and these are the robots too where before Lois leaves for the night I guess to go on her docking station or whatever (laughs) yeah she tells Ramsey that she hasn't been given the menu for the next day yet now I would like to think that if I owned a robot that was preparing meals for me I would have at least a week's worth of meals planned out. I wouldn't be going day to day. Like here at home, everybody who who knows me knows that Wednesday night is nacho night for me. And, you know, Thursday night is tuna night. It's like you'd think that Lois would know, at least on a weekly basis, what they were going to eat. Or at least I'd think that if I'm paying money for a robot, that it would be autonomous enough to create a menu for me. And maybe, I don't know, surprise me every once in a while. Well, wait, it does create menus on the fly wait a because it makes Bobby hot dogs. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but, Craig, you just said that you wanted a robot to surprise you. Does that include getting stabbed by the robot in the kitchen? You know, because that seems to be the surprise that robots are giving at this point. Yeah, you know what? As I'm bleeding out on the street, I'd be like, you know what? <laughs> no, I, 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 I wish I hadn't wished for that because yeah i was i was gonna say maybe ramsey could cook his own meals and not put his child's life at risk every day there's a thought there's a thought especially since he's seeing this happen all the time right couldn't you find somebody to be a babysitter somebody somewhere somehow especially if you're seeing this on a daily basis well, I'm thinking that there's a subplot here that they didn't expose, and I, I'm assuming because you see robots everywhere that that in this alternate universe, humanity had become pretty dependent on these robots. I mean, uh-huh. they're being used in construction sites, and there's construction sites that are completely uh, robot, no humans at all. So mm-hmm. I'm thinking there's a lot more robots out there than what we see. So maybe, yeah. uh, you know, and of course the robot model from before. Uh, Lois was uh, started a lot of house fires by burning toast. Yes, I love that. that quote where she says, you know, kept burning the toast, started all these fires. I'm just thinking, how many fires? How a many lot. fires does it take before you get a new robot? That's just what I was wondering. <laughs> I would say I would think probably one. BJ. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> I'd be like, well, you, you almost started a fire and you ruined my toaster. Yeah. Well, don't they just have a robot toaster anyways? (laughs) Yeah. They have a a robot robot. to work the robot. (laughs) (laughs) So I think Jeff kind of walked us into our next scene, which is the robot that's gone crazy at the construction site. Yep. It's dropping, I guess, uh, bags of concrete. Ouch. um, 18 stories to the ground. (laughs) And this is really a setup for the end of the movie, right? Where we have the woman saying, we have another job site that's completely run by robots. When Tom Selleck asks her why they can't just turn the robot off, which is a question we asked all the way at the beginning of the film, she says our insurance won't allow it. Now, can you imagine the kinds of insurance policies that would be written with this robot universe, BJ? No, uh, can you imagine that you have a police force that goes out on jobs because the insurance doesn't allow them to turn off their own robots? Yeah, so instead we're going to subject the taxpayers to that cost. And also, if a robot is hurling these bags of cement 18 stories, are you just going to stand out in the open mere feet from where they're landing? (laughs) 
I don't know. I would go undercover, but yeah. Ken, any thoughts on the scene that is really basically just set up for you know uh, the end of the movie? So your insurance will cover people dying and being killed by robots, but it won't cover someone hitting an off switch. That's just damn bizarre. <laughs> and and going with that whole you know potential for this movie, you think they could have had picketers outside of this job site saying you know these robots cost us our jobs. Ooh, <laughs> yes. that would have been interesting. And then you could have also had other picketer, picketers saying robots kill or something. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wait, wait, wait yeah, a second, really... wait a second, wait a second. It would have been cool if someone would have been holding a sign that said robots kill, and you see them chanting <laughs> and holding the sign, and then all of a sudden a sack of concrete. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say that uh, maybe the people that, that lost their jobs would have just bought a robot picketer and set that over there to picket for them. <laughs> That's the RoboCop style of social commentary. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I like the fact that there's a sign outside the construction area that says robot and human area just letting you know there's an integrated you know they, they're they're part of society they have rights so uh, that's something that we didn't get to see and there's a this i think the scene also serves as a little bit more of a a ramseying home of the fact that uh he has an extreme fear of heights so much so that he sends his partner up the elevator to, to deal with the robot and stays on the ground himself who yep. has pretty much zero experience at this point yeah. And you get some decent and leg she, shots as she's going up in the elevator. Yeah. And she really go. seems to to idolize Ramsey and yet he's too chicken shit to go up there and censor. <laughs> too much. So now we really get to the actual plot of the movie, right? I mean, this is what? Now the point where Ramsey and Thompson are doing their investigative work and they're looking at, I guess, security footage from Johnson's house. And we see that he had been visited by, what, Acme Robot Repairs, <laughs> and it's Gene Simmons, you know, speaking to the camera, which I guess is the first time we hear him speak in this. So I love the detective work here where we see a good 10 to 15 seconds of Gene Simmons talking to the camera. Tom Selleck watches it and then says, wait, something's been erased. Like, you think that if, if Gene Simmons' character had gone in to wipe these security tapes, he did a piss-poor job. <laughs> Terrible. And, yeah, I just realized, is this tape, is this before the police sketch? Yes. <laughs> yes so they, they had it on So video. they already have them. <laughs> they have I hadn't even video. caught that. <laughs> I think it's also very important to point out that the device that he was recorded on was a door answering machine. <laughs> yeah. So... How many people come to your front door when you're not home and leave you messages? I mean, do you really need something like this? So this is a very high-tech universe we're supposed to be watching, yet people still go around to other people's houses instead of calling them. Yeah. Oh, you know, God, he's not home again. Jeez. It's a world where telemarketers got around being put on block do not call lists by by going door to door. Yeah. That's a great idea. (laughs) Go door to door and leave leave spam messages on everyone's door recorders. It's been yeah. working for the Mormons. Why not? Oh, yeah, damn spam. tapes full again. <laughs> the vendors filled up my tape. So this basically detective work leads them to Johnson's place of employment, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And they're talking to I guess the security guard there about Johnson's work. Oh wait a minute, you skipped a little bit. Okay. Yeah, we, you skipped that. We we are at the we're at we're skipping over the scene where Gene 
is, is in, or I'm saying Gene, but Luther is is uh, getting the chips for the first time. He's buying, the, supposedly buying the chips. Oh, from yes. Johnson's partner. From Johnson's partner. And this is where they call him Dr. Luther. Okay. Yeah. Right. Where are the chips? Chips, Dr. Luther. These aren't all the chips. And where are the templates to make more? I was trying to figure out what he's a doctor of. Doctor of love. Yeah, he's and this oh. is this is the guy that was looking very skittish on the door answering machine. Right? Yes, this is him. Yeah. This is him. Yeah. Okay. So we have a setup there, and this is where we see that the way Luther does business is he'll just kill you after the transaction's complete, which really seems kind of in line with Gene Simmons, probably his business acumen, right? <laughs> I was thinking, if he was going to kill the guy, why did he bother with the briefcase of fake money? <laughs> if he's just going to kill the guy anyways. Because he's an ultimate troll. <laughs> well, he just wanted to torture the guy a little bit before he killed him. Just, you know, yeah. disappoint him and then kill him. I don't know. Ken, anything you want to speak to in this really, this really first real Gene Simmons scene in the movie? Just the fact that how weird it was seeing him that big on a screen at the movie theater. That was something that, at the time, you didn't see members of KISS on the big movie screen. It was very yeah. strange. It was very strange to see you know, him with that menacing look and everything. But I remember people actually cheering when he came on the screen. Yeah. And you know what? I don't want to get into a whole hair discussion. Um, <laughs> we can leave that for other uh, podcasts or message boards. But I got to say that this might be one of my favorite unmasked Gene looks. I think the way he's wearing his hair in this movie, I think he could have pulled it off in the non-makeup years of Kiss. Well, it's pretty much the elder hairstyle. Yeah, without the ponytail, though, right? Right. right. Yeah. BJ, any any thoughts or feelings on Gene Simmons' hair or um, this first real scene with him in the movie? What you see throughout this whole movie is the dialogue, especially the dialogue that's not intrinsic to the plot, is is really horrendous. And a lot of the comments we've been making have had to do with this different dialogue. You know, like, what's his problem? And it seems like they just kind of made it up as they were filming almost. Some of the, the just side that... I, I wanted to mention there's a part back at the Johnson house where Tom Selleck comes in and there's a female cop there, I think, and, and he's just like, hey, how's the new car? And she says, it's in the shop. <laughs> And that is just like the worst kind of, you know, ancillary dialogue you could possibly come up with. They couldn't. That's just so bad. It, and that you get a lot of that in this movie. When this guy says it's terrible what happened to his family. Well, <laughs> I don't know. There's just the, all of the writing of the dialogue is so terrible. And but, you know, the when he says that damn evil son of a bitch. I mean, it, I don't know. It, it's really it seems like a fifth grader wrote a lot of this dialogue. I, I actually think you delivered that line better than the guy in the movie did, BJ. <laughs> well, and I was going to say, you know, they didn't even need the name Gene's character. It could have just said in the credits, that damn evil son of a bitch, yeah. Gene Simmons. Because <laughs> that's really <laughs> his whole character, right? <laughs> well, what do you think about his name? I guess he's supposed to be like a cross between Lex Luthor and Lucifer. You know, it's... It, well, yeah, that, well, Charles we can Luther. get to the psychic part. Yeah, I can't wait to get to that part because uh, I'll, I'll just shut up for now. Go on. This was the introduction of the spider robot that oh, Ken yes. mentioned right. earlier. That, so, that killed um, Johnson's friend, yes. Yeah, and uh, talking about the psychic, this is where we learn that Gene is also a magician because he can apparently disappear from a room with no exits. Right. <laughs> While you're not looking. <laughs> we, we are now at, I, I guess, the 
the same building where Johnson's partner was was killed. Mm-hmm. But I guess they haven't found the body yet, and they are they're looking for information about Johnson and what he might have been working on. And conveniently enough, there is another rogue robot that has trapped, I guess, an administrative personnel person, Kirstie Alley, introduced here in an early role, in an office that she probably shouldn't be in. And the robot is just continually shocking her as she tries to move. And at this point, Ramsey goes into white knight mode and decides to go in there and save her. And now we get a whole sequence where Ramsey outsmarts a stupid machine. <laughs> uh, Jeff, do you want to run through this scene at all and, and uh, share your thoughts on it? Yeah, sure. Just uh, just to roll back real quick, too. We had the whole uh, the sequence with Johnson in the hotel just uh-huh. before this. So that was the um, the introduction of the la- the guided bullet and all of that stuff. Before. Oh, that was before this? Yeah. All right, Ramsey. So that's a huge sequence that we missed. This is So this is a... A whole sequence with with um, with Luther. Yeah. So yeah, Luther shows up outside. They're looking for Johnson at the hotel. Ah. All right. Yeah. yeah no. He, I mean, he says he says to the the food cart girl, "Coffee black," and then she just hands him one that's already poured, and he doesn't even pay. And <laughs> <laughs> just starts drinking. Gene Simmons, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, they say, "I bet he's the only electrical engineer in there <laughs> about the motel." Yeah, <laughs> didn't make a lot of sense to me. But. And did you yeah, notice no, this, this that... is a big scene in the movie? I mean, Johnson gets killed here with that heat-seeking, um, or, or or as they call it, a smart bullet, which I thought was actually a really um, interesting terminology, considering how we have smart everything nowadays, from our yeah. TVs to our phones. Well, you know, they they take Johnson out of the hotel and they're about to put him in the police car and he sees Luther and he decides that he's safer running down the middle of the street than in the police car. <laughs> so he runs off and then uh, Thompson radios, we have a runaway. And I, I'm thinking, they're going to think she means a robot. <laughs> she's in the runaway squad and she's radioing to have a runaway and she's talking about a human <laughs> this time. <laughs> Wow, oh, I, I I love the um I really like the the bullet perspective camera shots yeah. in this alleyway scene. I thought they were pretty cool, especially the one where it goes through the pipe for for 1984. I thought that was a pretty neat effect. Yeah, yeah. and then you also have the the you know uh, uh, Ramsey constantly looking over his shoulder and outrunning the thing. Yeah, basically. yeah. So this is actually now this scene leads to Thompson giving her digital uh, sketch artist. Um, right where she's she's describing Gene yep. or Luther yeah. and uh, Officer Thompson has a scene. Yeah, 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 and she wants to. The, the eyes aren't quite right, and it's funny because <laughs> the picture that they use of Gene looks like they modified it slightly, so you can tell it's Gene, but it's not quite right. Right. Well, and she remembers how he what he looked like so well, but she doesn't connect it to that guy on the video. <laughs> yeah, which they got from the door monitor. So. Yeah. From Acme. <laughs> From Acme. The same company that Wally Coyote works for. So You know what? That's really, really terrible police work there. You think, you know, most cops, you know, they, they develop, uh, you know, a, a recall or, you know, the ability to notice faces. Um, so, yeah, that is that is a complete – that might be one of the bigger plot holes in this whole movie. Forget people picketing robots. We've got a cop here that can't even, you know, tell Gene Simmons a couple hours apart from each other. Uh, well, he did forget. have a hat on, I think. In the, in yes, 
and that of course makes you invisible so and let's not forget he walks into a police station later on without any disguise whatsoever same hair same face he's the most wanted man in the city at this point yeah well there was also a part where where the other cop says ramsey there's a guy on the phone he says his name's luther (laughs) the the guy doesn't even know the name luther and when they're all searching for him at that moment more communication Hey, Ramsey, telephone. Hey, Ramsey. This is Ramsey. You're lucky to be alive, Ramsey. That wasn't very nice, Ramsey. I want my girl, Ramsey. You can't run away, Ramsey. I'll find you. All right, so now, Jeff, are we finally at the scene that I, I, I so terribly want to get to for some reason? Yeah, so, yeah, we've, we we found out that Johnson was a weapons technician, and now we're going to the, the office building for, for Kirstie Alley to do the research and then to meet Kirstie Alley. Yeah, so conveniently enough, the the robot has gone uh, has gone rogue, and now we can assume that this wouldn't fit in line with Luther Luther's plan. So this is a robot that has gone rogue completely on its own, huh, BJ? Mm. Mm, yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> yeah. So uh, again, as I explained, we've got you know Ramsey in full white knight mode, just really um, outsmarting this clueless robot with um, computer monitors and a jacket which it seems to me Ken like uh, Ramsey destroys this robot for putting a hole in his brand new jacket well wouldn't you (laughs) he was was planning on selling that on eBay years later but uh, you know it didn't quite work out now so yeah now you have to imagine that these robots they they have to cost a, a, a pretty penny right you would imagine so you think that that Tom Selleck, you know, would would be out, you know, a couple of thousand dollars for destroying this company property? He destroys two computers. Yeah, two computers well. and a robot. It would be like, yeah. all right, you're not getting paid for the next two months, Ramsey. Good job. Well, yeah. or you think well, these businesses would stop calling the Runaway Squad when they come in and just, you know, destroy everything? Every BJ, time? their insurance simply won't allow that. Well, oh yeah, you're right. Their insurance probably covers the damage that the Runaway Squad does. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, don't forget that Ramsey threatened on his way out to call in some sort of an audit yeah. on them to come in and inspect <laughs> all their robots so that the security guard wouldn't rat them out. Oh, so do you think they have some illegal robots working for them? Potentially. Or they're not performing <laughs> the proper huh? maintenance. Some yeah. uh, robots from Mexico that came <laughs> over the border. They rolled over the border? Yeah. You never know. And how did sturdy it, it, was um, that robot? How sturdy could that robot have been if the chair cr- literally crushed it? <laughs> <laughs> what was that robot's purpose? It's a security before it robot. Started shot. It's a security robot. Yeah, there was there was another one in an earlier scene uh, in the same building when when uh, when Gene was buying the chips from the guy initially. Like the robot come walks by the window, and like it's a sentry oh, robot. But they've oh, yeah, also so got they've also got security. Je- uh, uh, guard. So, wouldn't right. you think that this uh, security guard at at the the company that they're at would be happy that this robot was destroyed? Yeah, you would it's think. Job security, right? <laughs> well, yes. you, you know, you mentioned job security and stuff. When we saw the the guy, the, the camera operator who gets killed, you you have to know that they must have a really good union. That there's not a roving robot camera. Yeah. You know, and, because, and and good insurance too. I assume. Yeah, that just bothered me. You know, it, and it, the, there are a lot of new jobs in robot cleanup. Yeah, <laughs> thanks to Ramsey. <laughs> <laughs> Where is he? 
Sergeant Ramsey. I want to talk to you, Ramsey. Ramsey. Ramsey, the chief wants your ass. I know. Ramsey. Ramsey. Now, Ramsey. You screwed up good, Ramsey. Jesus Christ, Ramsey. Did anyone else make the SCTV connection to Kirstie Alley's character? No, no. What is it? Because her name is Jackie Rogers. Oh my God! That was the Martin Short character, right? Yeah, she loves me, and I love her. Yeah, exactly. So as Ramsey is escorting Jackie Rogers out of the office, her purse spills open, and we get the reveal that she has a whole bunch of these computer chips. And this is where the red line comes into play, huh, Jack? Yes. Yep. Yep. Red stripe on the chip. Uh huh. So what she was planning here to double cross Luther, she explains to Ramsey that he's forcing her to do it. But it seems like she was stealing these these for her own use. I didn't get that impression. Okay. Um, no. I do DJ? get the feeling that she was yeah. going to try to get a deal on her own separate from Luther. Correct. Ah, right. Okay. All right. And now we've got basically Jackie Rogers oh, at sorry. the police station, right? Yes. And she's being, what, interrogated? And mm-hmm. this is where we learn that she's working for Luther. And is this the point where Luther sets up the meeting at the restaurant? No, no, no. This, this, is, where, uh, this is where Jackie exposes that Luther's at the hotel. Oh, yes. right. Okay. Right. So this leads up to the great um, hotel scene that Ken wants to talk about so much. Yeah. Booby scene. With the boobs. Yeah. Boobies ahoy. But, you know, Ramsey really is kind of inappropriate with her character, with uh, Kirstie Alley's character. He's really leaning on her hard. Very attractive. Yeah. yeah, Very And did you notice that he's talking to her over the intercom, and when he turns and says very attractive, he didn't push any sort of a button, so she would have been able to hear him still, as far as I could tell. See, that's some some advanced game, uh, BJ. (laughs) (laughs) That's like... um, yeah, that's really advanced level uh, game stuff going on. But also, it, that brings up a good point, Ken, because this introduces almost like a forced, unnecessary love triangle between Ramsey, Rogers, and Thompson that really has no reason to exist. Exactly. <laughs> and is, is done in such a haphazard way. Just, you know, it's like, come on, you know what we're going for here. We don't need to spell it out for you. You know, just uh, Cynthia Rose just has to have a look on her face in there. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> they don't need to do anything beyond that. But why is she so enthralled with Tom Selleck? I mean, yes. The mustache, Ken. You already said it. He is Tom Selleck. I get that. But <laughs> she's like in love with him. And it's been like, she what, a day on the job? I don't know. <laughs> She, she really has a guys th- who are really rude to her and are you know send her into dangerous situations because they have a fear of heights. I don't know. So she's really into guys with a fear of heights. Okay, understand. <laughs> so we get this this um, this hotel sequence, which is another real you know sort of big set piece in the movie where we learn that Luther's staying at the the Ritz, and when Thompson and Ramsey get on the scene, the police have already established a presence. There is uh, an AV scrambler going on, so the police cannot use their technology to find out anything more than that there's, what, three men and and three women in the hotel room? Yeah. And Ramsey says, I'm going in, and and one guy says, "Um, you know, that's under your authorization, basically saying, you know, are you going to take credit when this whole thing goes bad? Yeah. (laughs) So this is really kind of a cool setup, though. Um, 
you've got this this suite that's got multiple entrances and Tom Selleck goes in one that I guess he's just gambling that uh, that there's no real action going on here. <laughs> he comes in the room and he's starting to do his recon work and that's when we see the... I, I, I shouldn't say that boobies in movies are ever unnecessary, but so late into this movie you get a, a topless sequence and it almost takes you out of the movie where a woman's doing her makeup and she's asking if her purse is outside and um, that's when she pretty much blows Tom Selleck's cover. So to make sure that everybody has a chance to speak about uh, the boobies, um, Ken Mills, <laughs> any any thoughts or feelings on this uh, initial entrance into the hotel? The uh, little robots are annoying. The elevator gets to the point. It points out the floor and it points out what hotel they're in. You should know that already. If you're in a building, you should know where you are. You know, it's kind of a a bit of extraneous nonsense. Well, that robot power. elevator probably took somebody's job. It probably took the uh, the elevator operator's job, right? Right. You know, Tom's really pissed. Anytime these robots are talking to him, he, he's really upset with robots. He just does not like robots. And uh, By the way, I did some, some searching uh, on the internet. You, you remember how I said that earlier I was, I was wrong and said that this was the first film directed by Michael Crichton? Yeah. Uh, this is the final science fiction film directed by Michael Crichton, so maybe this is why. But uh... <laughs> Wise choice. <laughs> <laughs> this is also a PG-13 movie. Oh, is it really? Yeah. This is one God, of the... And that just shows how far um we've come in terms of uh, you know what's allowable in movies because you know i i know you got the one isolated f-bomb but this is you know some extended um nudity here it's not like you get a flash it, no. it's um you know it, it's it's front and center well it's kind of like that scene in trading places where she just i think she's changing her bra and she's talking and talking and talking mm -hmm. and it's like but there are boobs on the screen you know because this this was this kind of hit one of those hbo cinemax kind of things where like okay we've got the swearing check we've got the boobs check you know there it seemed like there was a checklist it is kind of weird seeing it in a pg-13 movie at this point yeah. BJ, the initial entry into the hotel. Well, this is when it becomes like an episode of Quincy, you know, where Quincy was the coroner, but all of a sudden he was always a homicide detective. Well, here Ramsey is the robot guy. So why is he even involved in this? I mean, wouldn't he kind of pass the buck at this point to, you know, whoever deals with human Excellent, excellent point, BJ. Right, because there are no robots going wild in that room. No. The way he takes charge as well, you would think all the other cops would just be like, it's the robot guy. He's the guy that flips the switch. Get him out of here. You know, isn't that the guy that's afraid of heights? <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, that's that's an, uh, an incredible point there, BJ. That really it, it, it creates a huge um, question mark in terms of how um, that uh, department operates with the rest of the police force. You'd almost think that there might be almost some hatred between the departments where it'd be like, yeah, why don't you go work with your robots and let us deal with the real people? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, there would be protocol and also, yeah, kind of resentment or just, yeah, that would have been a hilarious scene if they had had the other cops, you know, just be really kind of um, disrespectful of Ramsey and just say, yeah, you know. Go go dissect the microchip. We got we got real police work to do. <laughs> All right, uh, Jeff Hewlett. Any feelings on that initial uh, sequence, which which um, ends with Ramsey's cover being blown? 
No, just just the fact that I really liked that scene when I was a kid. <laughs> for a for a twelve year old watching it on cable, that was the scene you waited for. Ah, uh, life changing scene. Unless Anyways. you're a complete kiss nerd and you're just like, these aren't the templates, Ramsey. You know, it's like <laughs> that's that's what I live for. But do you think Gene went and spoke to her in between takes, maybe uh, in in her trailer or his trailer? So after the shoot, what are you doing tonight? Uh, you know, I am in the rock group kiss. I. Uh, yeah. He was a much smoother Gene then. <laughs> now we've got what basically results in a, a Mexican standoff where with Ramsey's cover blown, Thompson comes in the other door and we see that Ramsey was making a, a deal with some other guys. And you've got a woman... Uh, sitting on the bar who's cool and collected and calm and says come on um, Luther you told me there wouldn't be any problems here and then later in the scene she's a complete and utter mess which for me that really was was uh, bad acting in terms of making character choices that don't make any sense so uh, a whole bunch of the guys get dispatched here Gene's got his uh, his rocket gun which he fires at Thompson but it doesn't seem we're not quite sure what happens with her. We see her go down, but but obviously it almost seemed to me like he was using different bullets for that shot. He fires at Ramsey. He escapes with the uh, with the the girl. Kills a couple of cops on the way. So let's lead up to the roof here, Jeff. And um, any thoughts on this this shootout? Uh, I I thought it was pretty telling that Luther took out the two guys who were supposed to be buying the uh, the chips from him. Right, no so he's loose covering ends. his track. Yep, no loose ends. Uh, the the I, I like the fact that the the woman on the bar comes back later in even more of a frantic uh, booking a booking scene, oh. where uh, she says she's an aerobics instructor. Yeah, <laughs> but she can't tell you where she works because she and works at many guys, a lot of places. Did you guys catch what she called Tom Selleck at the a end? A wiener head. Yes, <laughs> such language. Wiener head. <laughs> but after after we hear Ramsey drop an f bomb. And an S bomb. She has, she says wiener head. So I guess to maintain the PG thirteen rating, they had a quota that they couldn't yeah. go over. And I want to clear the fucking room now. See, just do it, Ramsey. But well, I think get... actually the rule is if you're using, you can use the F word as long as there's not a sexual connotation. So I assume oh. um, wiener head had to be used so there wasn't any kind of sexual oh. implication. Got it. So she was saying wiener is in the hot dog. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. I got it. But Makes you sense. get another, um, as he's going up the stairs and looking down, you get another vertigo, you know, smashing it home that he's got an issue with heights. And, uh, of course, I, I love the fact that, that Gene has a waiting helicopter that was, had to have been started already. So there's no way he could have started that thing up and flown away by the time Ramsey got up there. He wasn't that far behind. But And he didn't kill the girl. No. So there's a loose end. Right. He says well, no loose ends, no witnesses, but he leaves her alive. Well, it almost seems like maybe that that smart bullet was, I guess, defective because it didn't do what it was supposed to do. I, I, that's the real question here, Ken. Do you think that that it was intended, or do you think that it was almost the you know the equivalent of a, a weapons misfire? I think it was a weapons misfire. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't. Really? Explain. I don't, because it's later revealed in the movie that the bullets are attracted to people's heat signatures. So I, I assume <laughs> that if it's firing a, a bullet at someone who 
it doesn't match up with but winds up hitting them anyway, it, it, it can result in a, a quote-unquote misfire. It doesn't function properly because how would he have Thompson's heat signature? He was just firing at anybody. It wasn't like he had a Thompson bullet and a Ramsey bullet, and he was he like, okay, I have to fire the Thompson bullet first and the Ramsey bullet second in the chamber, and then I'll fire the Ramsey bullet. Like He was just firing bullets at anybody. It wasn't like they were specific to any person mm. at the time. So that was my explanation for it. Interesting. Yeah, that's like what they said on how did this get made. They said if if the bullets are, you know, programmed to a certain person, couldn't he just fire it from home? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Actually. <laughs> but in, I mean, there's got to be everybody's heat signature heat signature can't be completely and utterly unique because there's got to be a limited amount of heat signatures out there. Yeah, but wait a second. There's the scene where his coworker at the uh, runaway squad explains to Tom Selleck here's my heat signature and then there's yours see they're different yeah but if we both are running what well, you think most people would have the same heat signature because everybody's pretty much running that normal what 98.3 right yeah <laughs> I would just suggest go to some restaurant and ask to sit in their deep freezer for a while yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. or cover yourself in mud oh that's go. another movie we can talk about right um, so um, Luther escapes. We have the um, the the girl from the hotel hotel room who was so cool, calm, and collected in the hotel room is a complete mess now. And this here for me was a huge, huge continuity problem. So there's a matter of seconds probably between the time that Ramsey comes down from the roof with the girl, and we cut to them coming out of the stairwell. Right? I don't remember. All right. Well, basically they come down from the roof. And there's already police backup there. There's already a corner there. Um, <laughs> the um, Thompson's already sort of roped up and being uh, given medical attention. And the cops that got shot are already covered. You know, <laughs> you know. So it's like literally, it's like 30 seconds, and then all of a sudden, this whole this whole crew came in and set up shop. It, for me, that was a huge continuity problem. Yeah. Now we've got the scene where Thompson is revealed that she's she's got a, a bullet, a smart bullet lodged inside of her, and they need to move her to the hospital. And, and Tom Selleck says, I don't want to get anybody scared here, but you can't move her. We got to take this bullet out right now because it could explode. <laughs> um, is that Ken laughing? Yeah. All right. Uh, Ken, do you want to uh, take us through the rest of the scene? Well, it's just... They they go like this. This could go off at any minute. This could go off at any minute. And the one guy has to come over and look, and he shows him, you know, and he could see it right on the screen. You know, he's he's confirming it. It seems kind of stupid to stick your face near a a, a bullet could that, that could explode any minute. You know, not to mention Ramsey's glasses controversy. You know, because she said, "Don't you need your glasses?" And he says, "They're they're down in the car. Do you want me to go get them?" And this <laughs> is kind of funny. That's excellent work, Ramsey. What are you going to do next? Nothing. Uh, BJ. Ramsey just screaming about that robot. They screw up all the time. It'll screw up. But Lois, no, never. No, not Lois. <laughs> never. Lois, Lois would never, never malfunction. Every other robot, that piece of shit. <laughs> get it. Don't get it anywhere near me. But Lois, you know. But I don't want to skip over my favorite part of the entire movie, are the names of the two dead hoods, as they are described. The two guys that were, I guess, going to buy the templates. Is that what they're going to buy? Yeah. yeah. Did you guys catch their names? No. What are they? 
Tommy the Kid Okaro, who has a degree in electrical engineering from Caltech. That's okay. how they describe him. No, the second one, this is the best. Luigi Bandini. <laughs> Degree in solid state physics from MIT. <laughs> solid state physics? Ooh. The so they've got this physics. mix of like, you know, mobster names and geek. <laughs> but they're they're tech guys. Yeah. Like, just <laughs> That's just another example of the writing is just beyond ridiculous. Vinny. <laughs> Luigi Bandini. <laughs> they're joking. Yeah. Are they really serious? You know, it's uh, Vinny the Chip Scapizzi. <laughs> right, I just have to read this because I didn't believe that it was a real thing, but apparently it is a real thing. Solid-state physics is real. It is the study of rigid matter or solids through methods such as quantum mechanics, crystallography, electromagnetism, and metallurgy. So it's a real thing. So I guess that's a real degree that you can get. <laughs> and I'm and, and Luigi Bandini got it from MIT. God there you bless go. him. Hey, oh, he got his diploma. Oh, look at this guy. <laughs> I got just solid state. <laughs> Oof. <laughs> but do you think either one of them got their degree, or do you think he was like, uh, Professor, I think you got to let me pass this class, yeah. or else my uh, uncle's going to come yeah. give you a visit. Wink, wink. <laughs> You know, if I don't pass, you, my Uncle Salvatore is coming. <laughs> yeah, they gave the deed an offer he couldn't refuse. <laughs> <laughs> so it's funny, uh, BJ, you mentioned on uh, How Did This Get Made, they allude to the whole bullet removal scene as um, a sex scene, right? Oh, that's so funny. They play it without if – you, if you just listen to the scene without the video and think of it as a sex scene, it's really hilarious. Yeah. But if yeah. you watch the scene, it almost seems like they were trying to make it seem like she was maybe giving birth with the whole thing where <laughs> he hasn't gotten it out yet. And she says, "Don't can't you do anything right? Which you know, it almost seems like uh -huh. you know, the pregnant woman having no patience for her husband while she's delivering a baby. Mm. <laughs> two two things. One, uh, it bears mentioning that the we get the very cliched chief of police reaming out the hero cop. Right? <laughs> yeah. He's getting his yes. admonishment here. Now, Ramsey, you screwed up good, Ramsey. Jesus Christ, Ramsey! Uh, every every good cop movie has to have that yeah. moment in it, and and this is this is the moment here. I wanted to say that I think Cynthia Rhodes did a, a pretty good job displaying pain while the bullet was being removed. So or yeah, out of all the, the bad acting moments we keep riffing on, I think that was actually pretty well done. Well, yeah. you know what, Jeff? I think it probably has to do with having been directed by Sylvester Stallone, who we've talked about many a yeah, times on Flycast, his ability to really sell that physical acting. Oh, mm -hmm. God, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I kind of like how she's um, she goes from joking and talking immediately into the pain and then back out of it. And I, it was pretty convincing to me, and I've seen this a billion times, and it, it, it's effective every time. So Ramsey removes the smart bullet and tosses it to the bar, which um, it, we get a nice explosion. And I, you know what? Really, we should be keeping a running tab of all the property destruction that Ramsey is responsible for throughout this movie. Uh-huh. Thousands and thousands <laughs> and thousands of dollars worth of damage here. It almost seems like like Ramsey would probably be, you know, put on leave just based on the amount of money he's costing the department. And it seems like Luther has designed everything to explode. Have you noticed that? Everything. 
Just like a Kiss concert. <laughs> I almost spit my coffee out. Yes, you're right. <laughs> you think Luther was saying this is how the big villain is doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, so now we end up back at the police station, uh, unless I'm mistaken, right? Mm-hmm. And we have, uh, what, Thompson is now in street clothes? Yes. Yeah. She got out of the hospital really quick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and she's in street clothes, and then we get this debugging scene where Thompson goes in this machine to make sure she doesn't have any bugs on her, and then we get Kirstie Alley, and she has several bugs, including one in her bra that she turns around for, and we also see marks on her back like she's been whipped. Is yeah. that alluding to the fact that Luther was physically abusive with her? I mean, were they into some heavy S and M? I mean, what was the implication there? It's the only thing I can think of. I still don't know. So they, they decide, I, I guess at, at this point, is this where we get the phone call from Luther, Jeff? Yeah, and the psychic. Yeah, okay, yes. yeah. This is the police chief that instead of using a, a physical witness to get information, he says, oh, that witness is useless. Go with the psychic. Well, can I can I just interject? I think we skipped over a scene that I really loved. Do you remember the scene between Tom Selleck and his son where they they break and they're both laughing and it's clearly a blooper that they just used? <laughs> yeah. Do you remember this? Yeah. Well, what where um, where Bobby's asking if uh, if if he brought uh, Thompson with him, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. And yeah. it's basically Bobby being like, "Hey, you know, it's time for me to have a new mom." Well, and if you watch it, the kid is making a joke, like probably an inside joke between him and Tom Selleck. He starts laughing, then Tom Selleck starts laughing. And then at the end, the kid says like, yes, sir. And then they both crack up. (laughs) And you can so clearly see that they're breaking. It's not, you know, it's a, it's basically what would, it's a blooper. Yeah. But it does work. You know, it kind of establishes a relationship with him and his son, but it's really apparent that it was they were just breaking during this scene. Yeah, that was probably the the editor's logic there, and and God knows what kind of footage this editor had to work with. Mm. No, but this is the scene that immediately follows. The reason why Ramsey comes home by himself is because he performs the rare self cock block, (laughs) (laughs) completely (laughs) flubbing the dinner invite. Uh, so, tough night for Ramsey. Yeah. Uh, goodness. Um, so we get the psychic and the the phone call from from Luther. Yeah, where where Luther um, he's explaining every action that Ramsey is making, and and Ramsey realizes he's he's cut into the the building security cameras, and uh, they cover it up with a hat, <laughs> and, and they're they're wondering how Luther. Um, is skilled enough to tap into their uh, their closed circuit system. Hey Ramsey, telephone. Hey Ramsey. This is Ramsey. You're lucky to be alive, Ramsey. That wasn't very nice, Ramsey. I want my girl, Ramsey. You can't run away, Ramsey. I'll find you. I keep uh, harping on on the dialogue and stuff, but I just cracked up when when uh, Ramsey goes, "Kill that monitor." <laughs> <laughs> Instead of camera. <laughs> yeah. Ken, can you do the Gene line, please, from this? We, that wasn't very nice. <laughs> oh, yeah. That wasn't very nice, Ramsey. <laughs> Drop it, sucker. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, Gene has that line. He says, now you can kiss your ass goodbye. Do you think oh, that was kind of a yeah. shout out to Kiss fans? Now you can kiss your ass goodbye, Ramsey. <laughs> By mailing away, uh, you know, sending in two ninety nine. 
Uh, now you can kiss your ass goodbye with Ramsey. <laughs> so now we get is is are we now at the point where they're transferring Jackie Rogers to another location in one car that Thompson's going to drive, and then Ramsey and Rogers are going to be in a robot-driven car, right? Correct. Yeah. <laughs> and this is the introduction of another technology that makes no effing sense in this universe. <laughs> So you have some cars that are driven by robots and some cars that, are, that aren't. And then what would – so you can get insurance for a robot-driven car, but you can't get insurance to turn a robot off? Right. <laughs> right. Well, and, and then you have – they stole an idea from Airplane, you know, the autopilot. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, why do they need a mannequin in the seat? Yeah. The a, Johnny Cab. It's a car that drives itself. Yeah. Yeah. It's a but, Johnny it, cab. but it's weird. I mean, right. <laughs> if you need to have another seat in the car, does that like fold up or something? Does it like shrink? You know, does it fold into the seat or something? Maybe it's for the carpool lane. <laughs> <laughs> in the carpool lane. If we're already in the car, we skipped over Rudy. <laughs> oh, come on. It's me, Rudy, your old oh, yeah. buddy. Do you remember, yeah, yeah, remember well, the guy in the parking garage? He's like, the car. Yeah. yeah, don't touch the car, Rudy. <laughs> Don't touch the car. It's a completely useless scene. Think, oh, is Rudy working for 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 Luther? No, Rudy's just walking. He's just a guy that hangs out in the parking garage, dressed like a mechanic. It's like Rudy just shows up at the most inner. Oh, it's that Rudy again. Don't touch the car, Rudy. Rudy. I'm surprised we didn't have a heel turn at the end of the movie where Luther's puppet strings were being pulled by Rudy. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> it was me all along. So now we've got a, a, a big uh, car chase sequence where these little remote-controlled tracking uh, explosive cars, little mini cars, are, are, are trying to destroy the car that Jackie's in. We get a pretty impressive stunt where... Ramsey transfers from one car to the other when they realize that there's something that's being attracted to the car they're in. And then we have Jackie jump on over and we we learn that she still has a bug on her and it is in her purse. And she's reluctant to give her purse away until she takes out what looks like a pack of cigarettes. Bug detected. A lot of bugs, Jackie. I thought it was clean. Luther really wants to keep track of you. Why's that, Jackie? BJ, anything in this scene you want to go over? So at first, they have Kirstie Alley at police headquarters, I'm assuming. Yeah. And they say, we're going to move you to a safe place. And I'm thinking, so the police headquarters is not a safe place? <laughs> Wouldn't that be the safest place? You know, unless you're in Terminator. <laughs> I'll be, unless, you know, the Terminator is going to be back. I would think this is a pretty safe place yeah. for her. But it seems like they're setting up that Ramsey is taking her out as bait for Luther. Yep. But then they don't know the bugs in her purse. At first you think, because when she goes in to be scanned, Ramsey says, give me your purse. So they don't scan the purse. No. So I'm thinking, okay, Ramsey did that on purpose because he wants the bug so they can be bait for Luther. But then he seems surprised that they have a bug. Yeah. So was, were they bait for Luther or not? It seems like he took, he wasn't taking her to a safe place. He was taking her out to, to draw Luther out. But then the bug was a surprise. It just doesn't make any <laughs> sense in the end. Yeah, actually, BJ, I think my head is starting to hurt. <laughs> Conditions are serious. Conditions are dangerous. The, the car. Yeah. 
Oh, goodness. Ken, anything about this exciting car chase that you want to talk about? No, it was just incredibly awkward, and it could have been a much more exciting scene. Uh, I imagine what this would have been shot like today. It would have been much more elaborate, much more exciting. This would have been like a big part of the movie. I did notice that the ladies were being kind of catty with one another and they were being scanned for bugs. Speaking of a cock block, when there's a bug in her bra, she has to take it off, but then when the bug's in her skirt, Tonka just grabs the bug. Yeah. And she leaves her skirt on. And you're sitting there going, come on! <laughs> take the skirt, too. <laughs> So, and then there could be a bug in her panties. I mean, come on. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff, please, anything you want to you want to talk about regarding this this car chase. So during this scene, we also find out that Luther has henchmen. Yes. We never saw his henchmen before and we never see them again, but <laughs> we see them dropping the lock-ons out of the bottoms of the cars with the customized little panels in the bottom. Yeah. And speaking of customized one thing that kind of stuck out as a, th- a sore thumb to me is that these lock-on devices must be so common that the computer in the car knows what they are. Yeah. <laughs> Multiple yeah. lock-ons detected. So, the, so yeah. this system is designed to track these things, and, and not only that, but Ramsey knows what they are, and they have a laser that pops out of the top of the car specifically to shoot lock-ons. <laughs> so how often are, y- are lock-ons used to blow up cop cars? Must happen all the time. <laughs> Plus, they will blow the shit out of your Roomba at home. So, and not to not to mention, but they're they're clearly on some sort of a freeway. Yeah, and they're going at a high rate of speed. So, how fast do these little lock-ons go? Because they're going much faster than the traffic yeah. that they're zooming underneath. <laughs> yeah, so it almost seems like wheels. it's impossible for them to to be as fast as they are. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you see, like, you know, dudes that have remote control cars, they can be pretty zippy, but they don't go more than, you know, they don't go anywhere near 65 miles an hour. Yeah, but it's 1985, so. Oh, good point. Good point. So. The templates. Hi, you want sushi? So now we we have the restaurant scene, right? Yep. Where Ramsey decides to bring Jackie to a restaurant to, as bait again, for Luther. (laughs) Luther somehow captures Thompson, though. How off does, camera. Off, off camera, conveniently. And now we get the exchange. Um, uh, Thompson for um, Jackie and the templates. And we get the whole, you sent her over first. Mm-hmm. And before she leaves, Jackie basically gives half of the templates to Ramsey for insurance. Um, that ends up not working. I guess insurance in this in this universe is really, really hard to get because you either can't get it or when you do have it, it doesn't work. Right. Um, well, we're getting to that now. So anyway, yeah. go on. So we have the, the, the exchange where um, in what should be simple, um, Thompson starts walking over and uh, Jackie starts walking towards Luther. But then everybody decides to get up from their meal at the same time, causing a distraction. <laughs> Tom Selleck stays seated for some reason. He can't really stand up and work his way through the crowd to see what's going on. Jackie gets to Luther. He asks for the templates. He realizes that these aren't all of them, and he can't deal with being double-crossed, so he stabs Jackie Rogers and throws her into a pool. You want sushi? Ramsey. Let me speak to her, Ramsey. Move a little, dear, so we can see the gun. Just don't get too nervous, Ramsey. What do you think, I'm stupid, Ramsey? These aren't all of them, Ramsey. At that point, 
we really don't know what's been going on with Thompson. The whole coverage in this scene was a mess for me. Yeah. Um, and it was really frustrating to think that Crichton either couldn't be bothered or didn't know how to stage this sequence. BJ, do you want to uh, talk about this scene at all? Yeah, well, I'm having a real George Costanza jerk store moment here because at the beginning of the episode, <laughs> I realized as I was sitting there that you guys in the slidecast, you always introduce yourselves with a quote from the movie, and I should have been prepared, and I wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know what to say, but I really wish I would have said, Hi, you want sushi? <laughs> <laughs> <All right. laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, the scene doesn't, it, it it's the... It's supposed to be the suspenseful culmination of the, like I said, he's using her as bait, but he didn't know the, the, the bug was there. Somehow he knows that if they go to this restaurant, Luther will show up. And then Luther stiffed the girl, <laughs> as G.W. Bailey puts it. Yeah. All of the people at this restaurant, not a single one of them notices him murder this woman in full view and dump her in the fountain. <laughs> so that works out well for him. <laughs> it doesn't really make much sense or... Yeah, I, I don't know what to say about the sequence either, but I, I definitely want to, since since BJ quasi-brought it up, I, I did want to point out the borderline offensive or quasi-racist sushi machine. Hi, you want sushi? Yes. <laughs> I don't think it's borderline at all. No, no. I mean... <laughs> it's I straight mean, up racist. Yeah. It's straight, I mean, <laughs> yeah, it was really bad. And what happened to the sushi they ordered? They just left it there? Because... It, and. I love how knowledgeable uh, Ramsey was about su- about sushi. He's like, oh, you had the tatami. <laughs> <laughs> and so then they just leave the sushi and then go get a seat at the at the restaurant, right? Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I just I thought that was so unnecessary that they they ordered the sushi. What was the whole point of that? Just to have a machine that sh- that spit out sushi and and talk like an Asian guy? Hi, you want sushi? It was just a transition between scenes. Like, we need a transition here. How about something horribly racist, you know? I mean, couldn't they just have walked up into the Mater D and got a table and then had the earpiece go off with the... With the with the Luther's voice in it, I don't know why they had to go to the sushi machine first. And again, <laughs> Ramsey's whole thing is dealing with robots that either screw things up or murder people, and he's going to order sushi. But this yeah. is the one robot that doesn't screw up. Yeah, it but makes would, perfect sushi. He even says how good it looks. But would yeah, you? Yeah, that would have been hilarious if the sushi like had the seaweed on the inside, and Ramsey would just be like, "Oh, <laughs> oh God, not God. again!" And then he would have beat Jesus. it with a baseball Lois, bat. Never lost. Never lost. <laughs> Did we jump over the psychic scene? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Oh, no, we, we, we talked about it. Is there anything else you well, want to go it's, over? Well, with- again, this is we live in a world where there is a, you know, basically this is the tech service you know like when you call your cable that you know you technical problem and they send out ramsey or you know you're you, you've got a problem with your your playstation 3 going bizarre you have this world where you've got cops taking care of technical issues and you also have the psychic police detective thing and there's this whole story that they try to shoehorn in here somehow where he and luther which she refers to as Lucifer, Charles Lucifer, the, the uh, Gene Simmons character, that they were brothers in another life. Yes. <laughs> and it, it seems so stupid to have it introduced, but it's like that, oh, it's the duality of the, the good guy versus the bad guy and how somehow they're connected. There's no connection whatsoever, except that Gene Simmons' character 
uses robots to destroy thing, and Tom Selleck's character destroys robots. That's the only <laughs> duality that they really have. So, in this, um, the, the restaurant uh, scene, we get some stunt work that, unfortunately, we don't get stunts from Gene Simmons, and I would really love to sit down and talk to Gene Simmons' stunt double for this movie, but we do get a, a post-stunt wet Gene Simmons who <laughs> they hold on for, for, for a minute, almost like Gene was like, hey, I'm not getting my hair wet for nothing. Make sure you hold on me for a second. <laughs> really, now we're leading to what's going to be the climax of the movie, Jeff. This is the point where Luther infiltrates the police station and pulls up information about Ramsey. You, you, there's a brief vignette in a hospital yeah. where they track him down only to find the uh, the bug stuck in a, a roll of toilet paper. And this is the one thing that really bugs me about this whole movie, and the pun is intended, that that poor Sally, the scanner girl, she's so nice, her car's in the shop, her life's tough, gets killed for no reason whatsoever, just right. because she's in the wrong place at the wrong time. You know, the spider gets her. What a shame. Uh, Ramsey. You want to watch the door in case someone comes in? Yeah, that's a, a, another a critical setup of, of the spider in case we forgot the spider way back in the earlier part of the movie. This is at City Hospital, and they wait for Ramsey to get there, which I don't know why they would. And then when he gets there, I love the cops like, he's in the John. Yeah. And then Ramsey says, how long has he been in the John? Yeah, yeah. And Ramsey gets mad again for those guys, you know, not doing their job the way that he's he mad. Play. They waited for him. Yeah, yeah, and, and, because and, they should have just gone in and. <laughs> yeah, the ultimate catch twenty two for those guys. They were screwed either way. <laughs> yeah. And 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 uh, his, his line is, uh, "Congratulations, guys! You just stocked out a roll of toilet paper. So good job, good job." <laughs> okay, Ramsey. Stakeout, but it was really amateur. Okay, Ramsey, we blew it. Luther uh, infiltrates the police station, is able to pull up information about Ramsey's life, and he leaves open the screen showing information about Ramsey's son, Bobby, right? Yeah, he basically has yeah. his Facebook page pulled up. But... <laughs> this, well, this, yeah, this is what we see that Ramsey was born in 1950. Yeah, and I... also, I, I just love, it says, sports soccer football <laughs> that's like all the information they what does that mean he played that in high school i mean <laughs> he's 35 yeah yeah and then i also you know it says one son bobby but in the in a system like this wouldn't it say robert yeah really probably yeah <laughs> unless his son was like he was explicit he was like we're naming him bobby i on that birth certificate it's bobby none of this robert nonsense Damn yeah it. yeah right um so he realizes that luther has now targeted his son and he gets home, and, and you get what probably has to be, for me, really maybe the best acting in the whole movie. And it's from poor Lois, who has been completely disabled, and Bobby is missing. But I couldn't help but get a little choked up at what you think is almost, and, and thankfully it's not, but the death scene yeah. of this robot Lois. Ken, do you want to talk about it a little bit? Well, she's losing fluid. Come on, she's <laughs> losing fluid. <laughs> The good news is he can get a model 912 domestic robot after this, so, you know, but, uh, no, it, there, there is some empathy, you know, that you feel towards this character. You, you, you actually are kind of concerned, but when you think about it, she's the closest to a real woman that Tom Selleck's character is dealing with in this entire movie. 
She's the only loving and nurturing character in the film. Yeah. Other than Tom Selleck himself, who, who's trying to do the best he can with his robot to raise his son. <laughs> Thank God Lois cooks some mean spaghetti, so it all works out. But yeah, it's, um, it's, it's sad to see Lois go. Uh, BJ. Yeah, Lois does blow up, doesn't she? Oh, does she? Does she actually die? I think she blows up at the, you know, well, sparks fly into yeah, the air. Because like, what? Ramsey gets the phone call from Luther, and then Thompson starts to care for, for Lois. And then, yeah, I wasn't 100% sure of what Lois's fate is. And we don't, we actually don't get a happy ending where, you know, they reunite with Lois. So you could be completely right there, Abby. No, but there is a part at the end where Ramsey tells Bobby to go tell Lois he's all right. Oh. <laughs> but, but I was thinking when he told him that, that Lois blew up. So I don't know. But, you know, maybe. Maybe these robots also repair themselves. Oh, man. Could you imagine if Bobby ran out and called home only to find out Lois was dead? Oh. <laughs> therapy. Oh, Years of therapy. By the way, on... Well, the, um, Lois wouldn't be there to answer the phone. Oh, so. well, there you go. But well, also, the not, phone to, robot not to get ahead to. of ourselves here, but as Ramsey, would you ever trust Lois again after you know that Luther had gotten his hands on her? No way. No. Well, he'd be able to do a complete sweep of her and make sure that there's no red-striped... Ramsey's character, as established, would have never trusted Lois in the first place. <laughs> yeah. <It's> true. <laughs> I don't know. I really just see this moment where Ramsey's like, you know what? I can't trust her anymore. Luther's corrupted her. And if you if you think about Gene Simmons corrupting somebody, you might get a little dirty there. So let's not <laughs> right. go too far down that road. But I almost got the scene where, like, you know, Selleck's like, Ramsey's like, hey, uh, Lois, let's go down to the pier. And, you know. He throws his jacket it. over her head. <laughs> yeah, he kicks her into the water. <laughs> uh, Jeff Hewlett. Are we talking about the full scene uh, with the with the Luther phone call, or are we, we saving that? Sure, you can take us all the way up yeah. to the point where, where they it. get the phone call at home and, and where Ramsey learns that Luther does, in fact, have his son. Oh, okay. So, yeah, well, Lois is dead on the floor, or almost dead on the floor, and, and and of course the phone rings. Sergeant Ramsey is not here to answer your call. So this is, you know, Craig, you were saying before how the woman sitting on the bar was so cool and collected, and how that kind of really irked you that she changed so much. Yeah. This is the one moment that really irks me in this movie. It really bothers me because Ramsey picks up the phone. We as the audience can hear both sides of the conversation. But for some reason, they decide not to let us hear the location because Thompson might hear it. Right. But what was the point? Like, she couldn't hear the whole conversation anyway. Why couldn't we hear that? (laughs) (laughs) Why were they hiding it from us? Like, we're going to tell her? Yeah. We're going to yell at the screen? (laughs) He's at the construction site. I mean, I couldn't figure out why. You heard the entire thing except that one last line. But Lois obviously could record it. But anyway, I I couldn't figure out. They always left me scratching my head. I didn't know why they, they... would deny us that right all right so i i guess at this point now we get to the thrilling conclusion where um ramsey says i have to go do this on my own thompson um and it turns out to be i guess the construction site that was alluded to earlier in the movie right that's completely robotic yes it is because the sign's different out front yeah 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 it seemed like that was the only reason for that scene is so they can set up the end of the movie mm-hmm. um so you know, we almost have the Ramsey. Ramsey has his his Indiana Jones uh, moment. Instead of saying it's snakes, it's got to be snakes. He's like, it's a building. It's got to be a building. So <laughs> we get Ramsey going up the long, long, long open elevator ride, and he gets to the top, 
and there is Luther, and he's got Bobby, and I, I, they make the exchange, and he sends Bobby down to the ground, to safety in the elevator, and that's when Luther reveals that there can't be any loose ends for some reason. Bobby has to die, and the ele- and the, his deadly spiders with acid are rigged to kill the first person who steps off the <laughs> the elevator. And you know, uh, Ramsey scrambles to the the elevator control panel, and and he's communicating to his son that he has to stop. That the elevator will not stop, and we get closer to the ground. Don't worry, Ramsey. The spiders won't hurt you. But I have the templates this time, Ramsey. Come on, Ramsey. The templates, Ramsey. You can't stop it, Ramsey. I fixed the elevator. Ever see him kill somebody, Ramsey? It's really impressive. They're loaded with acid. Right. This is this is the big hero moment. So Thompson finally gets her hero moment. Mm-hmm. But this is one of those times where you really want there to be some sort of fisticuffs, right, between Ramsey and Luther. Yeah. And you never really get that. Yeah. in this movie there's never a physical payoff there's no catharsis except for the very end maybe but it really wasn't Ramsey that 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 did it but it almost seems um, like they could have been on two different locations and just put the film together or yeah. it could have been filmed mm-hmm. at two different times for yeah. sure so there's some there's some cool gene moments though I think oh, in yeah. this he's got some some cool dialogue I, I really like that why well, I, I said it earlier uh, I'm not as well as Ken can can imitate mm-hmm. gene but the whole uh, the he actually gets a little emotion. He gets a little excited when he talks about how the, the spiders will let you in, but they won't they let you won't out. Let you of, out. Yeah. I love how he raises his voice a little bit during. Does, this. Doesn't he also basically fire his missile gun or his love gun at a, <laughs> <laughs> nice. um, at Ramsey almost point blank range and misses? Yeah, Ramsey hides behind a girder. <laughs> it's like, what purpose is this gun if it can't even? Take somebody out point blank. Right. It should go around the girder, right? Yeah. Well, well, um, it, well it didn't have his heat signature. You know, yeah. So. But still, it shows that, I guess, maybe Luther is too dependent on technology. That's a whole other sort of plot imp- implication that they glossed over is, you know, maybe when push comes to shove, Luther is too dependent on technology that when he's re- when he really needs to use his own, his own physicality, he's failed. Wouldn't um, that have been a cool scene, though? Yeah, where Tom yeah that Sully... would have been a great theme that they just completely dropped the ball on. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. From the protesters outside to Tom Selleck's character's disdain of robots and robotics and them taking over the, the aspects of our life, it would have been cool if he would have been able to defeat the bad guy basically using that same sort of thought process. Yeah. yeah he, Ramsey could have shot him with a slingshot or something. <laughs> Uh, BJ, your your thoughts on the scene up until this point? I believe that Gene screams "You bastard!" at Thompson. Yeah. I thought that was funny. That's kind <laughs> of bizarre. A, a strange choice of words there. Yeah. Um, Lending further credence to the fact that Gene might have filmed on another day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, I that's that is amazing because I hadn't thought about that, but you know, the scene in Heat with Pacino and De Niro wasn't there a theory about that that they did it that way? Yeah, that there was never really a, 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 a medium shot with the two of them. It was always cutaway coverage. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that would be amazing if Tom Selleck and Gene Simmons were never on, on location at the same time. <laughs> I would have to watch it again and see. I mean, I don't remember if you can ever see them both on screen at the same time, but that would be hilarious <laughs> if yeah. that was true. 
the way the the film comes across, it's entirely possible. Yeah, you've really got to give it to Officer Thompson or whatever her name is because she she has her hero moment and everything. And this is just coming hours after being shot, you know. So. <laughs> And she ran right through all of those spider robots, you know, well, that well, jump, jump and stab and everything. But they weren't programmed yet. They were programmed to uh, attack whoever got off the elevator. Oh, she didn't know yeah, that. I, how, how does that programming work? Can't stop it, Ramsey. I fixed the elevator. Ever see him kill somebody, Ramsey? It's really impressive. They're loaded with acid. I mean, these are really, this is advanced technology if these spider robots understand what an elevator, this specific elevator and the next, I mean, that's, yeah, that's very yeah, advanced Yeah, technology. you think they would just be programmed for proximity. As soon as something yeah. gets near, near you, the <laughs> yeah. next thing that gets near you, you kill. And, the, and you think, also, you would think Luther would have programmed them to not kill him. Yeah, you I mean, would that think. that might be yeah. part of what you work Spoiler in. Spoiler alert. You know, <laughs> I was saving that for the end. So, yeah. so we do get the moment where Thompson rushes in. She tells Bobby, who I guess is is too gripped in fear to realize that he can climb up and around this elevator. Thompson has gotten Bobby to safety. And how do we get to the point where Ramsey has to go further up? What am I He's not running away from Luther? Right. So they send the elevator back up. OK, so that he can get back down and he's he's running away jumps in the elevator and yeah it's on uh, it's on robot speed not human speed yeah right. and i guess at this point since luther had access to ramsey's file he knows that he's afraid of heights hence setting up this meeting at the construction site and then also sending him up in the elevator i will have Why to would say his police file though i will have to say that the scene where they have him go up at super speed in the elevator and when it like stops up top and there's no sound and everything that that's a very effective scene. That's good, Ramsey. Absolutely. I agree with you, Ken. And the score that they have uh, playing during that scene is really a very, very, very creepy. Yeah, but, but, but it's also a case of weird coverage again, where we have Ramsey crawling to the edge to, to see what he knows and what we all know is basically that he's way high up on this building that's under construction. And there's really no monster waiting at the, the end of the book, if you will. It was just a really uh, suspenseful moment that had no payoff. And we will get a lot of great stuff at this point, though, where um, basically the, the elevator won't go back down. And tell me, BJ, does this make any sense that the reset button for the elevator would be underneath the elevator? <laughs> Well, in this in this film, I guess it makes sense yeah. in context. <laughs> so, it, I mean, was it programmed by Luther to go to the top and stop, or is it just malfunctioning? Because if it can be reset, then Luther didn't really do that good of a job unless he knew that it was going to entail Ramsey eventually ending up underneath the elevator. But either way, mm. we get some really effective use of these spiders. And I can almost say that these spiders might have been underutilized in this movie. But we get some really creepy stuff going on with the spiders where they, they've hatched, you know, they, they've sort of jumped onto the elevator. Mm -hmm. um, they crawl over. They're spraying acid at, at Ramsey. They're trying to inject him. Really, really um, cool uh, sequence, in my opinion. Jeff, what are your feelings on this this whole sequence leading leading up to, I guess, the let's take it right to the end where Luther falls to, to the ground. 
you know, I, I love the scene where this, the two spiders crawl up from underneath, you know, while uh, while Ramsey's kind of laying there. I always thought that was really creepy when I was a kid. I, Might have been the coolest shot in the movie for me. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I actually kind of had nightmares about it when I was a kid. Those things kind of freaked me out. I, I didn't realize how uh, how limited they appeared until I was a little bit older. But that, that whole hero in a very confined space with uh, much more agile uh, opponents is always a very thrilling, especially when uh, you've got the height aspects. So he's climbing on the outside of the elevator, and the spiders are making those cool uh, jumping noises and you know flying around. And and I, I never saw earlier in the movie. I don't think they showed this at all. But the spiders also have that needle that comes out of the bottom of them. Uh-huh. Yeah, not just forwards. So you thought you know the only danger was the front end of the spider. So I mean, you, he could have technically just grabbed one from behind and threw it right. Or just I mean, kicked them off into the open night air. Just yeah, popped them exactly. right off there. Well, one of them kind of suicides. Yeah. I mean, he kind of just like he kind of baps it with his hand. It, it falls to the floor and then kind of jumps off into the, the, the so. Uh, but I, I really, when I was a younger person, I really loved this uh, this scene. The tension was really great. You could see the, the acid burns on his face were pretty well done. I think the makeup was pretty well done. He looked a little swollen and, and his face was broken open a little bit and that was pretty cool. And one of my one of my favorite moments in the entire movie is when he finally gets the elevator to go back down and it happens to stop right on the floor where Luther is. And you see the elevator coming down and you see that that crazy eye face look on on Gene as as he sees this disabled Ramsey laying before him. Really really enjoyed that part. Excellent. Uh, it was the only time I believed Ramsey's fear of height. That's the only time that I really believed that at all. As far as the spiders uh, on it from a technical aspect, they only had 6 legs instead of 8. I saw that on IDMB and I thought that was fairly interesting. Yes. Um, my friend Branton Lewis who I went and saw this at the movie theater with, we were famous for uh, we would record movies that we liked. And when I say record movies that we liked, on, on audio, right? He would take a tape recorder and he would find a way to get near the speaker and record the whole movie. So we would like listen to this and listen to this dialogue. So like I have this like whole thing in my head, you know what I mean? And when it actually came out on videotape, it was like so cool to to get that because I didn't have cable at the time. So like I I didn't I couldn't see it on like HBO and stuff like that, but it was really cool to finally get it. But this scene for all the uh inconsistencies and there are many you know like wouldn't you like i think bj or jeff mentioned that why wouldn't uh luther's character have programmed these robots not to kill him because they seem to be capable of doing some very top shelf stuff like yeah they're they're autonomous it seems yeah yeah and and they they all seem to have orders to commit harry carry again no loose ends like he, he doesn't one of these things left found by the runaway squad so that they can be taken apart and traced back to him, you know. But uh, I, I thought that the acting was actually pretty good at this point. I'm sure BJ's eyes are rolling right now. But I love this climactic end, and I'll, we will get to that. I, I do also remember the spiders being very creepy when I was a kid. Well, they're more like robotic cockroaches, I guess. But <laughs> yeah, they were creepy when they're crawling up on the elevator. Gene's crazy eyes are ludicrous. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. The directing was probably wider, wider. You know, <laughs> I don't know. The 
one thing I don't, didn't understand is after the the spiders attack Luther, they don't blow up right away, and right. Uh, Tom Selleck is just going right. He's right down there. He's. I think he even checks for his pulse. I love how he always checks for pulses. There's that when he checks the the cameraman's pulse at the beginning, and he just grabs his shoulder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like in the back of his shoulder, but. Yeah. Uh, I guess Ramsey just assumed that these robotic spiders were like bumblebees where they sting once and they die. Because, <laughs> But I wouldn't go anywhere near the fucking things if I was him, you know, while they're killing Gene. But he just goes right over there and yeah. checks his pulse. And then when Gene isn't dead for that split second, that is just the most ridiculous Hollywood. That's just so insulting to anyone's intelligence. That, oh, I loved you know, it. I loved oh, it. Oh, it's just horrible. I, mean, I love that Ramsey had no reaction to it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, loved <laughs> yeah it. Ramsey's just like, uh, there's a lot of things in this movie that Ramsey doesn't have a reaction to that's, that don't make a lot well, of sense. Well, you know, you mentioned things that he doesn't have a, a reaction to. What about acid sprayed in his face? Uh, the only <laughs> thing I can figure is that Tom Selleck is so handsome that even when you spray acid in his face, it will not affect him all that much. The mustache protected him. Yeah, the mustache pushed <laughs> well, you know, it away. Back, the power of the stash. The psychic, going back to the psychic, Ramsey was so um, skeptical of this psychic uh-huh. And then she comes up with Luther's name, and he's like, yeah, 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 what else? I mean, wouldn't <laughs> you be impressed. like, holy shit, <laughs> how did you pull Luther out? Yeah. yeah. He, I would probably, he would probably arrest her as part of the conspiracy or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, Nowadays. how the hell would she know the guy's name? But yeah, I can't stand the feeling for his pulse, and he's like, Ooh, for a second. I hate that kind of thing. But, well, what uh, is it? It's the cheap scare, but obviously yeah. he's not alive, so is it? his body reacting for some reason or i mean it, it ken do you have any explanation for it this is what i refer to as the Devereux. Devereux. <laughs> <laughs> because this is the second movie that gene's a star in that we wind up not knowing exactly what happens to the villain in the last moment so i think from now on that should be referred to as the Devereux, the Devereux ending i love it i yeah. love it uh jeff I think they should have let Gene live at the end and then somehow tied it into Terminator and Skynet. Oh. That was his goal all along <laughs> with those chips. Which could have also tied into Devereaux. See, it's all there you go. It's all connecting. Villain yeah. That scene where Gene, his eyes are rolled in the back of his head, that's the money shot for a Kiss fan as far as seeing that on the big screen. That was like, yeah! You know. And yes, I know it's cheesy as hell. I know it's stupid, but... I love it. <laughs> I love that. How great would it have been if he had stuck his tongue out? In the yeah, yeah. And, or and, started and, spitting and blood. Further, BJ, a little bit of blood. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> stick his tongue out and have a drop of blood. <laughs> right? Come on. And then they could do a, a subliminal thing where just uh, for a split second they flash the makeup over his face. Like you wouldn't even see it unless you paused it on that frame. Yeah. <laughs> wow. But. As we reach the film's conclusion, since Lois has now bit the, the the dust, he is now free to go after Thompson. Yeah, he's basically got Lois's replacement. Who? Yeah. Uh, Can you be cook? There to, to to clean, cook, and uh, and raise Bobby. And yeah, then, as they pointed out on how did this get made, they make out for two minutes and fifteen seconds here at the end. <laughs> and I, with, I'm assuming that during this makeout session, Bobby is learning that Lois is dead. Yeah. <laughs> what, mommy? 
My and second the mommy is dead. On fire at all. Yeah. yeah. A rain of sparks. Yeah. There's a lot of sparks in this movie everywhere. Everything that blows up, it's sparkalicious. But not only is is Tom Selleck, you know, just got over his fear of heights. I assume he's over them now, right? Yeah. He, he says it. He says he is. I believe. Right. That's all it took. He's also ready to love again, and damn it, he does. And he well, makes and, out with I this mean, chick for, like you said, two minutes and fifteen seconds with acid in his face. <laughs> Is this thing on? He's got acid sprayed all over (laughs) his face. I don't know about you guys, but if acid is sprayed in my face, as much, no matter how amorous I am, I just can't imagine myself going, now is the makeout time. Well, wouldn't he be getting something on some of it on Thompson as well? Yeah, you would think it would get on her face. (laughs) Oh, smoochy, smoochy, smoochy. And, of, I mean, of course, the the lines that they deliver here at the end are just classic. Can you cook? Try me. <laughs> it really seems like they just made it up. Yeah. At what point was the director go, okay, I got this idea. We're going to have you guys make out for almost three minutes, and we're going to put the titles over that. <laughs> okay, Maybe it first, was Tom kind of. Selleck's idea. Yeah. Maybe Cynthia Rhodes was like, you know what? Please keep kissing me because as soon as you leave, Tom, Gene's going to be all over me. Yeah. <laughs> that might well, be Maybe it. this is just another kiss reference. Oh. Look at you, BJ. Maybe being Gene so had clever. it in his contract that they had to end the film with two minutes of kiss. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, he uh, got schnuckered. Yeah. So, so before we get into our individual thoughts on this movie, Ken, you found out a really neat fact. That this is reported to be the favorite movie of a former Romanian dictator um, (laughs) who in 1989, uh, during his trial, he was executed after it, though. He invoked Tom Selleck's name and that of his character in this movie several times. So uh, on trial for his life, he felt the need to expound on what he thought of Runaway. So no matter what you might think of Runaway, there was a dictator... (laughs) <laughs> who in the last moments of his life, this was on his mind. <laughs> Five years later, mind you. Yes. <laughs> Maybe it was just right. on cable there, and he really was into it. It did have the boobies, so... <laughs> yeah. All right, Ken, so now that we are done with Runaway, which was basically a Gene Simmons' debut uh, theatrically for U.S. audiences, mm-hmm. at, you know, as we know, in the U.K., Kiss Meets the Fan of the Park did yeah. get a, a theatrical release, but this was the first chance, like you said, for people to see Gene Simmons 40 feet tall. I showed this movie to one of my stepkids and my wife. Uh, my wife is a huge Kiss fan, and I thought, well, she's going to dig this, right? Made it like 45 minutes and tapped out. Wow. <laughs> and I sat there watching the film. She just said, it sucked. I just, I I felt so defeated sitting there by myself on the couch because I said, fuck it, I'm finishing this thing. You know what I mean? I'm going all the way. You know, you look at the cover of the DVD and the posters, it showed Tom Selleck holding Luther's gun. Yeah, right. Which is kind of strange because he has his own little laser gun and all that, but he never uses... Uh, Luther's gun, Rams, Ramsey doesn't. And BJ, what's that? How many times is uh, Ramsey's name repeated? 
52. 52 times during this movie. Somebody's... Once every two minutes. And I'm wondering, at least 30 of them have to be uh, Gene Simmons, right? Or 20 of them, something like well, that. Well, you know, if Tom Selleck had used the gun, wouldn't the bullet have just turned around and <laughs> hit him? <Ooh. laughs> that would be funny. Yeah. That would, no, that would have been another great scene if somebody grabbed Luther's gun and fired at him and it just turned around and hit them instead. Yeah, yeah. It almost seems like this movie had potential to be like, uh, a 12 part miniseries on HBO. <laughs> well, doesn't this seem like this would be like a Fox TV show nowadays? Runaway. Oh, totally. You know, you could see this whole thing happening, you know. Now, out of all the gadgets and weapons and stuff featured, this is from IDMB. Robots, gadgets, and weapons featured in this film include a Magnum rocket gun used by the villain, explosive heat-seeking missile smart bullets that can steer around corners, mini remote control racing car-like self-propelled road mine robots, now that's a sentence, that can race under cars and explode, a model 912 domestic robo-made robot, and the 910s, don't forget those, a police sketch artist portable computer tablet, which you know those i have one of those um a a one foot square aerostat hover floater cc tv camera so that cameraman died you know for no reason (laughs) sniffer dog crime scene robots even the dogs have been outsourced an agricultural yellow lacquered metal two-armed pest control robot a sentry security guard robot Eyeball identification checkers, which you would think Luther could rig those with a needle. I'm just putting that out there for a sequel. And scuttling insect robots, which were mechanical arachnid-like robot spiders with lethal, venomous, metallic stings. So there you go. That's a rundown of the evil, nasty machines that Tom Selleck got a chance to destroy throughout. I, I believe they, they left out the blink-operated hovering smoke machine as ah. well. Yeah, you're right. He does set that off just by blinking. Yeah. So, Ken, you basically just explained why we love this movie so much. And I hadn't seen this movie in quite a few years, and I enjoyed sitting down and watching it. And, you know, despite a lot of the structural problems with the story and the lack of logic in certain places and the missed opportunities, it's still a fun movie to watch. And... I think if you're a fan of of Kiss, it's just great to see this, you know, Gene Simmons at what he was hoping was the start of what would go on to be a great Hollywood career. Jeff Hewlett, I know that you're very, very fond of this movie. So your final thoughts on Runaway? I am. I am fond of this movie and I will admit to owning it. Uh, I've had it for quite a while. I, For me, this, I can see the flaws in the movie for uh-huh. sure. Uh but despite that, I, I feel like this movie for me falls into the same kind of category as movies like Commando, Cobra for, for the most part, Big Trouble in Little China. Movies that, you know, don't always get the best of reviews, but are for me are just damn enjoyable. Crowd pleasers. You know, yeah, from right around the same time period. And, you know, I love the I love the quasi-futuristic attempt uh, with all the robotics and the laser guns and all that stuff. It's really cool. And, you know, Selleck might be a little bit rigid. At times, but he was he was pretty good in the Ramsey role, and you know Gene, I, I still love Gene's performance. I know you guys trash him a little bit for it, but I, I think he fits the character uh, very very well. So this is one of those movies for me that uh, it's it's part nostalgia, and and part genuine enjoyment. That's good, Ramsey. I, I absolutely do not look 
down on his performance. I think it should have won an Oscar, damn it. And uh, no, all kidding aside, I or at really, least the Golden Globe, right? Yeah, yeah. I really enjoy him in this role, and I think that Gene is about as good as actors just about anybody else in Hollywood. You know, it's it's not like he's uh, was given all that much to do. The only problem is with Gene Simmons is that with anything that he does, it's like you know. It's not family jewels, it's Gene Simmons' family jewels. So it's not just a guy acting, it's Gene Simmons acting. And I think that instead of, like, losing that, uh, he basically brands himself. Like, you know that that's Gene Simmons in that role. Even if, you, you know what I'm saying, he doesn't lose himself in his roles. That's good, Ramsey. Yeah, but I think that's what you're hiring Gene Simmons for at that point. Right, exactly, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. BJ, uh, final thoughts on uh, and feelings on Runaway. <laughs> I liked it as a kid. Seeing it now, um, I think it's ludicrously bad with uh, nightmarish writing um, and and directing, pretty much, and performances. I mean, Cynthia Rhodes, <laughs> I just think it's pretty awful. That wasn't very nice, Ramsey. Craig, you mentioned Indiana Jones earlier, and I think it's insane to think that Tom Selleck was offered the role of Indiana Jones and turned it down because of commitments he had to Magnum P.I., yeah. but he managed to work this movie into his Magnum P.I. schedule, and that seems like it seems like he made a bad career choice there. But Well, I don't really think it was up to him. I think that they kind of said, you can't do that. But then they let him do this. <laughs> I don't. If you compare Raiders of the Lost Ark to this film... I mean, you know, enough said enough probably said. right there. Yeah, absolutely. The writing, you know, I mean, a movie, really, the movie, it all comes down to the writing more than anything. And the writing on this film is horrendous. There, there might be some interesting premises, but as far as the way it's written, it's pretty terrible. Yeah. In my opinion. I yeah, no, know. it's definitely, it's so weird to see that this came from, from Michael Crichton, who is a, a bona fide, you know, he's, he's no longer with us. He's since passed away, but he was a bona fide recognized author. I mean, he, he was able to craft and create and tell stories. So the sloppiness on display here is definitely head scratching. And it might've just been like, Hey, this is an easy payday for me, and audiences aren't going to care anyway. I'm going to give them robots, I'm going to give them explosions, and I'm going to give them boobs, you know? Mm -hmm. But you could have just had the Thompson character be the one that gets kidnapped at the end of the movie. But, yeah. we, I mean, we've already gone two and a half hours on, on, on uh, Runaway here, and I'm sure we could go <laughs> yes. longer. So I guess, Ken, I'll hand it off back to you, and I just want to thank everybody who is still sitting with us listening to our thoughts on Runaway. <laughs> well, I would like to thank you gentlemen for being part of this. Jeff Hewlett, could you tell people where they can find you? Yeah, so I, uh, I, Craig and I have several other podcasts. If you're interested in, in finding anything out about me personally, uh, you can find me on Twitter at J underscore Benj. Of course, our podcasts are the Tricorder Transmissions and Slycast, so they're they're around. They're on iTunes and, and all over the place. And occasionally I pop up on the, some of Ken's shows, like uh, Zilch, and uh, here I am on, on, the, on the podcast, so... Proud to have you as one of the hosts of Zilch, as proud to have Craig Cohen 
as one of the hosts of Zilch as well. Proud, uh, I'm proud to be had. <laughs> Craig, would you like to tell people where they can find you other than Zilch in the podcast? Yeah, working beyond uh, Jeff's plugs for the Tricorder Transmissions and Slycast, you can find me actively on Twitter where I use the handle Mr. MR uh, for Mr. Craig Cohen, all one word, and uh, I follow back. Excellent. And... Last but not least, BJ Cramp, would you like to tell people where they can find you? And I'd like to thank you for being a host on the podcast as well, along with Craig and everybody else. And uh, also for the Cheap Talk Show, can you tell people where they can find you? Yes, my podcast is called Rock and or Roll, and I talk about things I really like on there, so I'm more positive. <laughs> I, I, a lot of the times on the podcast, I'm far too negative, I think. But um, No one has noticed. And- <laughs> and also, I'm hoping to hear myself soon on Craig Cohen's new venture, <laughs> if he wants to talk about that at all. Yes, um, two excellent episodes of a brand new podcast called Big Screen Book Club to serve up, where me and BJ read a book and then talk about the movie that it was adapted from. And our first episode will be Die Hard, which is a really, really great, great episode that we can't wait for you to hear. Excellent, excellent. Cool. Oh, thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of this, guys. Uh, let us know what you think about the episode on Facebook. Check out Slycast, Rock and or Roll Podcast as well, and all the other ones that we've mentioned. Thank you, gentlemen, for being part of this, and hopefully we'll do this again because Wanted Dead or Alive still waits. Yes, uh, and also Never Too Young to Die. And, Ken, uh, we have an episode of Miami Vice as well. Ooh, so mm. there's more <laughs> in this well if we wish to. And also um, extract, right? Yes. Mm. You got to watch your nuts. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much. We will see you on the next episode of your podcast. Thank you. That is our show. Thanks again for listening. Be sure to check us out on the web at www.podcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook and on iTunes. If you'd like to contact the podcast, please drop us a line at podcast at gmail.com. Big thanks to Julian and everyone at kissfaq.com. They've got great information there and a terrific message board, too. Thanks also to Keith LaRue and everyone else at Kiss Online for their great work representing the hottest band in the land. And as always, a big thanks to Paul Stanley, Gene Simmons, Ace Fraley, Peter Chris, Vinnie Vincent, Bruce Kulick, Eric Singer, Tommy Thayer, and the memory of the late great Eric Carr, and the late great Mark St. John. You are KISS, and we are your army. Podcast is created by the KISS Army for the KISS Army, and it is available for free as an internet download. If you like what you hear on our show, go buy it and support the people who made it. Podcast is not affiliated with KISS or any of its members past or present. On behalf of myself, Ken, and the whole rest of the Podkiss crew, thank you for listening to Podkiss, the KISS fanzine for your ears. And I want to clear the fucking room now! Okay, here we go. Ready to rock and roll. <laughs> nice. That's good, Ramsey.
And also, I skimmed through How Did This Get Made last night, and they really did not cover as much of the movie as they normally do and didn't really go too in-depth into it at all. So it's crazy because I went back and looked that we started this planning this almost a year ago, and the day before we do it, they come out with... <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. It's weird. It's crazy. But Ken, uh, that just made me think that you should do a not Gene Simmons and answer all of those questions that the inside the actor studio guy asks at the end. You know, <laughs> I'll do it. Gene. <laughs> oh, I could see Gene's answer for when he gets to heaven. Um, when God, uh, would, you know what God's. God I know what it is. I know what it is. Are you ready? Yes. You're in my seat. Yeah. <laughs> I, you're in my seat. <laughs> I wish I could this episode already. <laughs> Check out these ads from the following shows. We are proud to call them the friends of the Podkiss Network. We are one. We're a scene man. That's right, Kiss Army. We're having a rock and roll party, and you are invited. Tune into the Strange Ways Kiss Podcast and hang out with your Kiss Army brothers, Jody Havnock, Clinton Harris, and D Rock. Join us where we celebrate and discuss the gods of thunder. That's Strange Ways Kiss Podcast. You can find us on Facebook or Podomatic.com. We'll see you there. You wanted the best, you got the best. And if you want the hottest show on Monco Radio, Join us in the Kiss Room. The Kiss Room is a monthly radio broadcast celebrating the hottest band in the world. It's your place for all things Kiss and some... For broadcast dates and all information, go to thekissroom.com. The Kiss Room broadcasts live and worldwide on Monco Radio, where music and minds meet. Hey, I'm Dr. Fuck. And I'm the Ayatollah of Alcohola. And we are from the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. If you want to check out some crazy, uncensored, unbiased, totally nuts reviews of classic hard rock and heavy metal albums, check us out. You can get us on Podbean and iTunes. New episodes every Sunday. That's right. And we also do each other's moms. True. Free of charge. Well, my charges. Oh, yeah. Yeah, mine's free. History Science Theater, the most civilized. Yeah. Oh, f- <laughs> oh, f- <laughs> come on. Respectful. Just imagine Gene it's with like, like a with like a washtub bath. <laughs> and serious. No wait. Excuse me, Bob. You're gonna come over and do my album. <laughs> Kiss podcast on the web. History Science Theater. We bust balls because we care. Rock and roll and vinyl are meant to go together. <laughs> like drummers and strippers. <laughs> That's right. So maybe it's time to hop on down to your local record store and go digging for some lost gems. 
on final. And that's exactly what we do here at the Shabby Road Record Show. We pick selections from our own personal record collections, and then we discuss the songs, the artists, the albums, and the stories about the music that you may have never heard. And there's nothing more fun than listening to two knuckleheads spinning vinyl and talking music. So dive on into the five-star rated podcast, The Shabby Road Record Show. You can subscribe for free on iTunes, Spreaker, and Stitcher, where there's a new episode released every Tuesday. Also, you can find us on Facebook and on our website, ShabbyRoadRecordShow.com. Hey, this is Nick, co-host of The Pod of Thunder, the only KISS podcast that breaks down the entire KISS song catalog one track at a time. Every week we have a new song chosen at random and we do our best to analyze it. We talk about KISS-related topics and non-KISS-related topics, all the while trying not to kill each other. If you like the sound of that, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and especially on iTunes. Pod of Thunder! Hey everybody, I'm Aaron. And I'm Chris. And we're from the Decibel Geek Podcast. And if you love this... Then you'll love us. That's right. Brand new episode every single Monday. You can find us on iTunes and at decibelgeek.com. And the best thing is, it's rock and roll and it's always free. Podcast Rock City. What's up, everybody? This is Joe from Podcast Rock City, where every week me and my crew will bring you the Kiss News of the Week. Look at this as kind of a Kiss version of Meet the Press, your source for Kiss News every week. We're on iTunes, Podomatic, Twitter, and Facebook. All right, KISS Army. Since 2007, you've been getting podkissed. The KISS audio fanzine for your ears. That's right, it's your podkissed. Every month, the podkissed crew, along with the KISS room, brings you KISS talk like no one else. Whether it be roundtables, interviews with the band past and present, analysis, and great KISS fun. Hi, this is Ace Frehley, and you're listening to podkissed. Hi, this is Bruce Kulick, and you're listening to Podkiss. The Podkiss, the Kiss audio fanzine for your ears. Hello, hello, this is Robin Zander from Cheap Trick, and you're listening to Cheap Talk. It's time for some Cheap Talk. You're listening to Trick Chat. Their mommy's all right, their daddies are all right, they just seem a little weird. They even got their KISS records out. This is Ken from the Podkiss. Join me and BJ Cram as we talk about four great guys and three great chords. Cheap Trick. If you're a KISS fan, chances are you've checked them out. So please check out our show, Cheap Talk with Trick Chat. Available for now in the Podkiss feed. Keep cheap tricking. We're great at that. I mean, I mean, that's, we are amateurs. Yeah, I make all the sex sounds with my mouth afterwards. Squish. Ooh. This place oh. is nice. Right? I'm glad you wore your nice flip-flops. Stay frosty, man. Okay. 